Behind the schemes, you're calling yourself. Oh, yeah! We must put an end to this spectacle of debauchery! You are going to get down on your hands and knees. Just walk away, and there will be an end to the horror. Yeah, 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 yeah. This program contains mature subject matter. Including maladjusted youth, masochistic hillbillies, and the excitement of the price is right. It may be deemed inappropriate for our younger viewers. Viewer discretion advised. I would like, if I may, to take you on a <laughs> this show is behind the shem shemas schemes. I'll give you a choice. Either put on these glasses or start eating that trash can. Yeah, it's a nasty scheme. You maniacs! What is a man? You blew it up! What is BTS? When we are successful, we will be. We have a real chance at this. Your patience is wearing thin. In the ring at this time, the challengers to my left. From the Soviet Union, weighing 313 pounds, Nikolai Volkov. To my right, his partner from Tehran, Iran, weighing 258 pounds, the Iron Sheik. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Volkov requests that you all rise and respect his singing of the Soviet National Anthem. for episode 106 of Behind the Schemes on this holiest of holy days, 7-11. Rooting for the hill, I'm Booberry Mothman of the Miniocalypse. <laughs> Left us in anticipation and all the way from the bereft coast, way the hell over here where you can go outside and you can smell the smoke and sunshine. My name is Lavish. And in the green room tonight, we have an intergalactic champion that you can 
chain him, beat him, cut him, kick him, whip him, strip him, burn him, eat him. It doesn't matter. You're just going to make him stronger. He can outfight, outfuck, outfart any of us lame-ass motherfucking podcasters because he is the original scum dog in the universe and all other destructos are just imitatos. Fools and ghouls, give it up for the one and only Techno Destructo. That's right, it's me, Techno Destructo, and I'm talking to you from my secret bunker somewhere on the West Coast. <laughs> well, not much of a secret anymore. <laughs> Secrets out. Secrets out. Techno's out of the bag. How's your night going, Techno Destructo? Everything is going to be all right. Oh, hell yeah. Hell yeah. Well, thank Amen. you. Thank you for joining us, Techno. It's such a pleasure. Uh, I'm a huge fan of uh, of your work and just your general ass-kicking across the universe. Uh, what have you been up to recently? Well, uh, just recently, I was supposed to do a show in Florida, but it didn't quite work out. I sort of fell behind schedule a little bit, and I tried to, uh, I had to enlist the help of my time-traveling steampunk lawyer, Barrister Orlock, and he installed an app on my armor that was supposed to allow me to teleport myself to Florida, because I was going to have a really super kick-ass match there where I was going to actually crush my opponent's head in my mechanical claw and eat his brain and spit it into the audience. (laughs) And I was really looking forward to that very much. But I was running behind schedule, and I had my uh, accomplice for this particular adventure. Her name is Ember Vicious who is the mistress who has been uh, assigned to watch my uh, activities on this planet lately. But anyway, in order not to offend her, I had to make sure that I made it to Florida in time and super kicked ass. But what ended up happening was after Barrister Orlock installed the app on my armor, we accidentally ended up in the Ice Age. And uh, I ended up having a battle with a woolly mammoth. But uh, this Hmm. adventure is going to be online soon. Uh, It was fully documented, and uh, I do have the uh, evidence that it actually occurred. I'm not bullshitting you. This really happened. And so you will be thrilled and amazed when when I actually uh, am able to put it out. But currently, I'm sort of still stuck in the Ice Age right now. Oh, shit. Barrister just left you there to hang? Uh, is, is well, he's, he, he's kind of here with me. I mean, not. I can't exactly put him on the phone right now, but uh, he, he, believe me, he's receiving his punishment in full from Mr. Sender Vicious. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> but I'll, I have enjoyed very much, up until COVID, bringing the gift of battle to the human beings on Earth through the most intense intellectual thespian art form on Earth, professional wrestling. 
And I actually got to train with uh, Brian Kendrick, and I got to train with Sin Bodie. And yeah, I've been uh, I've been watching some of those Sin Bodie videos from his uh, short stint in the WWE. Uh, what was his name? Uh, Kazarni, I believe. Kazarni. Yeah, that was a it was Kizarni. a yeah like a total sort of a, a carny freak. You know, <laughs> it was a lot of fun. <laughs> well, when I met him, he was doing this show called Freak Show Wrestling. And there were all kinds of different weird characters in there. That There were things like magicians doing magic spells at each other. And uh, uh, Funny Bone was the main guy that had the uh, the title all the time. And uh, he was really hard to beat. I actually had a title match against him, and he almost killed me. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that was at a, uh, it was actually at a event that the uh, Insane Clown Posse oh. was playing in Las Vegas. Yeah. And they had wrestling at, at uh, different intervals in their show. I'm Sick. actually, uh, I'm actually trying to talk a couple of, uh, uh, fellow podcasters that I know into going to the ju- uh, gathering of the Juggalos next year. I think that would be a whole lot of fun. Go out there and do a total boots on the ground report. Well, a- you better bring an umbrella to protect your equipment for all the Fago soda that's going to be spewing around and getting all over your equipment. What's uh, what's for stickier, sure. Fago or blood? It depends. <laughs> it depends if it's the real blood. <laughs> that, and how cold it is. That shit's slippery as fuck, man. Uh, <laughs> so, Techno, I'm curious. Have you uh, ever had your tarot cards read for you? Uh, well, I'm going to have to plead the fifth on that one. Oh, my. Hmm. Well, at the top of each of our episodes, we like to draw a tarot card to kind of set our frame of mind for tonight. Uh, We only have the one card that we drew, and I busted out a very special deck in honor of Techno joining us tonight. I went and I dug through my boxes, and I and I I got the uh, it's the Vampirella tarot deck. I'm sure we all know who Vampirella is. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, swing, swing. I met her at a convention one time, and I was hanging out with her, but then it turned out that she wasn't a robot, so I wasn't really that interested anymore. Mm, no interface going down that night. <laughs> uh, yeah, many such cases, man. So this uh, this tarot card, uh, it's very apropos for uh, the evening that both Lavish and I have experienced. Uh, I have drawn the reversed... Nine of Swords. Dun-dun-dun! Now, I don't generally say that uh, there's bad cards or necessarily good cards in the deck. It's, it's all just kind of a frame of mind and reference to your, uh, to your current situation. But um, I have some general reversed keywords for this particular card, the reverse Nine of Wands. Uh, we have Recovery, Learning to Cope, Facing life, finding help, shame, guilt, and mental health issues. <laughs> All my favorite things. So which, uh, 
Describe the card. Which card? Uh, what does the image on the card look like? The art on the original. Uh, well, let me describe to you the the art for the uh, Vampirella deck here first. So get, get things a little hot and steamy. It appears to be a barbarian standing over top of a Vampirella sprawled out on the ground, and it looks like he's swinging a battle axe almost. Or maybe it's a stake. A stake? Or something like that. Yeah. Or me- Oh, no, it's a, it's a short sword and shield. Like mm. one of those roaming, uh, not quite the size of a Roman gladiator shield, but, you know, that round circular one. Mm-hmm. It looks like he's so, about to lay the smack down on her. So is this image, is this actually a tarot card image, or is this like a Frank Frazetta painting put on a tarot card? It is the Frank Frazetta art on a tarot card. Oh. Uh, mm-hmm. That's what I'm trying to... I'm trying to envision what the particular image is. Is that the one with the guy carrying a bundle of sticks? Or is it the one now, where... The bundle of sticks would be the guy ten of wands. standing in a... It's the suspicious guy that's standing in a bunch of sticks. Is that the one? That would be, uh, what was it you just said, Lavish? The Ten of Wands? Ten of Wands would be the the man under burden with the bundle of sticks. Uh, the Nine of Swords mm-hmm. traditionally has a woman that's sitting in bed, and she's holding her head in her hands. She looks like she's woken up from oh. a terrible nightmare. Mm-hmm. And uh, there are nine swords that are hanging on the wall, and it kind of shows that these nine swords are are hanging over her and pressing into her in the dead of night. And uh, upright, the Nine of Swords usually means like anxiety or fear or nightmares or isolation. Uh, When you have the swords reversed, then it's as if the swords are being pulled out of you. So you've just been stabbed, you've just been injured, and now life is removing those swords. So you're either overcoming an obstacle or a nightmare, or you're healing from a wound. And the swords exiting the wound could be just as painful as the entrance, too. But at least with the removal of the blade, you're in a position where you can start moving towards recovery of some capacity, whether it be physical, emotional, mental, so on and so forth. Spiritual, right. even. Uh, I get a, a brief description slash meaning of this card. To come across the Nine of Swords reverse still signals something similar to the upright version that you may find yourself being terrorized by nightmares, by anxiety and stress. Some trauma from your past is coming back and you find the grief of unresolved issues overwhelming. But here, we also see hope. At least there is the desire to leave this nightmare. You must understand that this suffering will not cease until you put yourself in the effort to leave it. There is much work that you must do to drag yourself towards release. But just as you always have a way out, you must understand that you can still fall deeper into despair, and your job is to avoid that outcome. If you push yourself forward, you may you may find yourself out. But if you do not, you may find yourself sinking deeper. Fortunately, the path must be violent. <laughs> <laughs> Pure, raw, 
Oh man. That's Full intensity violence. That is the only answer. And that is the gift of release that I have to give to all humanity. Hell yeah. Path must be violent. <laughs> <laughs> Past is violent, life is suffering, healing is suffering. Coursers pain, coursers fire, coursers hurt. Hell yeah. And- yes, and I am hurt. I'm hurt because I wasn't able to get to Florida and twist my opponent's head in my claw and squeeze his brain out and eat it in my mouth and spit it into the faces of the audience as they sat there with their mouths agape. Now, what but do, maybe next time. What do brains taste like, especially human brains? Hmm, that's hard to, I really don't have a lot to compare it to exactly. It's just the same as any other, like, fleshy, gross thing that you might bite out of somebody at some point in a fight. Mm. It's Mm -hmm. not really that much difference. It's more of a textural sort of thing. Although the chunks of the skull are, like, sometimes get in the way, but for the most part, it's, but the other part about it is you, there's a certain surgical precision about it because I have to attack the certain part of their brain. There's a strategy to it. I have to get at the part that actually contains their wrestling knowledge because if I can tear that part out, if I can damage that part, then that will impair them severely during the remainder of the match because I've found that most wrestlers, when I bite a big hunk of their brain out, it's almost as if they're not using it. It's like it almost (laughs) doesn't slow them down. (laughs) Who needs it? Who needs this lump of jello? Especially especially when you're dealing with somebody like Sin Bodhi. And Sin Bodhi, oh, the last time, that I was in Florida, I was like, oh, I couldn't wait to get there and get my hands on Sin Bodhi once again because I remember the last match we had. We I had a title match, a title freak show match against him not too long ago in Las Vegas. And uh he like what did all kinds of crazy stuff. He hit me with a um with a uh toilet, like a uh ceramic toilet and all kinds of crazy stuff. And he had me, he threw me down in the corner and uh, threw a cinder block between my legs and smashed it with a sledgehammer and uh, all kinds of, all kinds of uh, crazy stuff. And, and, uh, but you know, it was a, it was a intergalactic hardcore match. So you can have any kind of uh, weapon and, and you can bring anything into the match that you want to. And then later on, I was the referee or no, it was earlier in the show. I was the referee, and he hit me in the face with a pie that was loaded with uh, a whole bunch of thumbtacks, and they were all stuck in oh. my face. Oh, man. Pinhead oh. <laughs> style. I've seen that move used before. Are you familiar with a band out of Philly called uh, Eat the Turnbuckle? No. No, but I had a match there one time 
with this band called Bad Luck 13. Oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. I'm, it's the same guys, or a lot of the same dudes. Yeah, well, we th- this was a match. Uh, it was a special handicap lumberjack match. And it was three, it was like a three-on-one with them against Techno Destructive. And then it turned out that my my valet for the night, my mysterious space dominatrix, was one of their band members who had, who had somehow infiltrated my own forces. And then uh, on the outside, Scrota Moon, we had Scrota Moon on the outside of the ring to as uh, my part of the Lumberjacks, you know, because... If you don't, if you're not familiar with the rules of a lumberjack match, it's like there are people on the outside of the ring. So that if you get thrown out of the ring, they beat you up and throw you back in. Basically, is how that's the rules of the match. So all the members of Bad Luck 13 were around the ring, and then I had Square the Moon there representing uh, my my side. And uh, then I had my valet who act to, who betrayed me because she turned out that she was one of them in disguise. But the match ended. The way the match ended was. Uh, they had this huge, like, gigantic black dude who was like the band's bodyguard, and and basically he didn't play a musical instrument or anything. His his job was beat up the audience. <laughs> <laughs> what a great and job! He like he like uh, it, it was he was about to kill me, and uh, oh, they had me on the outside of the ring. They had me on the outside of the ring. He was in the middle of the ring. He was in the center of the ring. And then the lead singer guy, the leader of Bad Luck 13, had climbed up on the top corner. And I was down on the outside of the ring, and the, the lumberjacks had gotten me on a table and were actually holding me down on the table for him to jump on. And But what ended up happening was at that point, they had uh, ripped all of my armor off of me so that I was stripped down and all sweaty and bloody and everything. And uh, so when they thought they had me down on the table and he jumped off, it turned out that I had, I had slipped away and he went crashing through the table. And while <laughs> everybody was looking at that, I like snuck around the other side and did a moonsault on the, uh, their bodyguard dude who uh, turned around and uh, got it, and that's how I actually won the match, and I beat Bad Luck Thirteen. Yeah, and I, there, there's actually video evidence of that. There's, oh wow! Uh, there's a video of that that Bad Luck Thirteen is still making money off of to this day. <laughs> you should go kick their ass again. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Yeah, that's a uh, eat the turnbuckle show. The the uh, eat the turnbuckle show. Uh, I'd got this. I've only seen them the one time, but it was uh, definitely the gnarliest uh, live show that I had ever been to, and I was a little younger at the time. But uh, yeah, no shortage of crutches wrapped in barbed wire, uh, little wiffle bats with tacks glued on the side, uh, taking bamboo skewers and smashing them in each other's foreheads. They had the elbow drop from the top of the gazebo. It was about twelve feet. You know, straight down on the dude, laid out on a table and some sawhorses. It was a, uh, <laughs> it was pretty intense. <laughs> you might need some hand sanitizer. Oh yeah, most definitely. <laughs> most definitely. take shots of, a couple shots of hand sanitizer, <laughs> do you? Yeah, that'll fix you right up. 
no doubt. Well, let's uh, let's just hit on some quick show business so uh, everybody knows what we're about. Uh, this is a value-for-value value production, meaning we take no corporate sponsorship, no advertisements. We are entirely producer-driven by listeners like you. And if you get any value of this show, all we do, all we ask is that you just turn around and send some value back, whether it be artwork, clips, music, uh, monetary donations, all of the ways that you could reach out to us, you can go over to badradio.live, and that's where we are. And also, uh, show notes over at zososcorner.substack.com. You can check out that uh, Vampirella tarot card that we were discussing just a little bit, well, uh, just a little bit ago. Uh, if you so feel, you can sign up, and every week when we go live, those show notes will show up in your inbox, and then uh, you get to take a look at everything that we're going to be discussing this week, and it's totally free. What's not to what's not to love? Oh yeah, go pay a dime. We also have art. We've got videos. We've got some uh, fantastic uh, videos of techno destructo destroying certain people, like Serial Man uh, and others. Oh yeah, check that out. There's a fuck ton of uh, techno destructo related links inside of those show notes. Bunch of photos, videos from throughout his career. You're gonna love it. Uh, you should go and get yourself some. And did you have anything else, Lavish? Or I'll I can uh, I can hit us with a little uh, voicemail jingle. Oh yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, you give us a call. Hit him with it. Um. Do a commercial. You're off the artistic roll call. Every word you say is suspect. You're a corporate whore. And uh, end of story. God damn it, my shit's broke. <laughs> well, if you want to give us a call and you have any questions or comments for uh, our esteemed guests, you can give us a call at 612-263-7999. Here we go. And we do have a voicemail already lined up for tonight, and uh, we'll hit this one real quick. You know, when you get off work and it's like triple digit, whatever, something outside, and you, and you open up the car door and you sit down and you're just like, ah! Yeah. Anywho. Love you guys. Stay dangerous. Thanks for calling. Yeah, thanks for calling, Bacaller. And that was uh, the indomitable Christopher Battles, also of the Bereft Coast, uh, West Coast action. Christopher Battles, that's a good fighter name, too, and that's his <laughs> actual name. It is. This is true. And let me see if we got any other ones loaded up for tonight. It doesn't look like we do, so um, I suppose we can uh, continue on with the interview. Hmm. And uh, I guess my first uh, official question for you is, um, is wrestling, does wrestling have a standardized um, move set? Like, could you move from one region to another region and and, uh, utilize moves that have the same sort of names across the board? It depends on how good you are and how good they are. And a lot of times that's a total 
uh, unpredictability. Do you guys get a... But that's part of the fun of it. Yeah. <laughs> is there such thing as like a classically trained wrestler? Like somebody who knows all the moves, knows the moves of the greats. Some, somebody like that, almost like a nerd well, yeah. type. Okay. <clears throat> all right. So now I'm I'm uh, talking to you as Hunter Jackson. Whoa. Hello, Hunter. Oh, hello. Hello there. Who has been through all this shit. Because Techno Just Talk Talk doesn't know about any of those things. You know? But... Uh, I was lucky enough to stumble into Sin Bodhi in Las Vegas. And uh, they're like every different city. Before I met Sin Bodhi, I had been in, lived in Philadelphia, and I trained with a the guy there. And I sort of started to learn things a little bit, you know. But uh, there's all different levels of it, you know. there's a You can be learning it third hand from a guy you know, from somebody who learned it from somebody who learned it from somebody, you know, mm. and they'll, they'll have picked up all kinds of mistakes along the way. Oh, you know what I mean? It's yeah. like a game of telephone. You know, mm. it's like a game of telephone. So then, even though you know the names of the moves and all that stuff, and then you come up against somebody else, they, they may uh, have a different viewpoint of what some of those things are. But I was super lucky in that, I got to train at this uh, school called the Santino Brothers uh, and learned under Brian Kendrick, who uh, actually I just stumbled into him again. For uh, I hadn't seen him for a really long time, and I went to see this awesome show called Micromania, which uh, is run by this guy, Billy Blade. It's a midget wrestling show, and uh, it was so good. And Brian Kendrick uh, actually wrestled this a uh, black midget whose name was 25 cent. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Horse tag. And they, they did a really great show. You know, they did a, they did a really good show. And, uh, but it's, there's a lot of give and take in wrestling, you know? And, uh, uh, when part of what makes it fun is that when you go out, when you go to a new place and re- you may be wrestling against somebody you just met for the first time, you know, and it's a it's a whole different world for what I had been experienced with in Guar, where uh, uh, when you go out on tour, you're doing the same thing to music every night, night after night after night. So pretty soon you get to listen to four musical cues and you go, okay, I know we're going to do this stunt at, or this gag. At this it's this literal choreography at that point. Yeah. Yeah. So it like, yeah. So you get, so by the time, so it was, it was really funny in the early days, especially because we would do the first show in our hometown of Richmond. And then we would, by the time we would get to LA, we would be ass kicking by that time. You know, and people back home would read all these reviews about how awesome the L.A. show was, and they would go, what? We saw that show. It sucked. (laughs) (laughs) And and, uh, so, but with wrestling, it's like this time when you're in front of the audience, this is going to be the only time, this may be the only time you ever wrestle with this particular person, you know, so you've got to do the best you can. There's, you can't like, uh, try to do it again. If you flub something, you can't like, oh, let's do that again. You know, you have to just do the best you can. You have to roll with the punches, and you have to be ready to imp- improvise. and And that's what makes it exciting and fun. You know, mm-hmm. keeps it fresh. 
it's not when you're doing something like touring with Guar. I mean, yeah, sure, you get refined after a while, but it also might get a little. I don't know if stale is the right word, but you know, you can't. There's not a lot of room for improvisation, so you kind of have to just follow the the rubric, as it were. Yeah, right. Yeah, but I'll tell you, man, when like that that was the other thing. Did you guys get to see the the Guar tour that I went on just recently? I toured with them at the. 30th anniversary show did you guys see any of man that? you came through cleveland ohio when i was there for a bit and i couldn't make it but damn did i want to i no, was I, pissed i, I was texting i was like you gotta go <laughs> i was so pissed that i couldn't make it to that it damn was show fun. and uh it was i had a blast it was really yeah. fun but man this every night you know every night we put something else into it like something else would get added as soon as we had were comfortable with what was happening, somebody would add some other weird thing to it, you know. And then mm. on top of that, Sexecutioner would show up on certain nights. He wouldn't always be there, you know, and then all of a sudden he would be in the mix too. And uh but it was fun, man. It was really fun to be able to duke it out with those guys again and bring to the Guar stage what uh I had learned uh doing professional wrestling and stuff. Because mm. uh you know, I learned I learned a lot about how to work the audience because, like, that was what allowed me to get into the to the wrestling world in the first place. Because I was really comfortable playing the character. I was used to stunt fighting in front of a crowd and having to improvise and and uh, stuff like that. Because Brocky and I, when we were first promoting Guar, I knew that I wanted to do conventions. I wanted us to go to science fiction conventions and horror conventions and comic book conventions and stuff because I knew if Guar had a booth at those kind of venues that a whole crowd of people would be able to see what we were doing, uh, a whole crowd that would never set inside foot inside a lot of the venues that we played at, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, so it allowed us to promote Guar to, to all these new obsessive fans that would be into what we we're doing. And Dave and I would, would uh, dress out and have these. We'd go, we'd go around the, uh, the convention center, and I did it with Chuck Varga a lot too, especially. But we would go around the convention center and, and say, where's Guar? You know, I can't find their booth. Do you know where their booth is? You know, and try to get somebody in the crowd to point us where the Guar booth was, you know, and the whole time when my, I would be going, I came here to kick their ass. I came here from the far side of the galaxy to kick their ass and I can't find them where are they hiding, you know? And, uh, we'd go as soon as we, after we'd covered the pretty well, the whole convention, then we would find like an open area and we would have a battle and a crowd. And then once a crowd would gather enough that we were really kind of choking up the traffic, we would break it up. And I would like slip off into the crowd somewhere and uh, like that. And then a little while later, we would do it again. But so I had been doing stuff like that for a long time. And then after I split from Guar, I like uh, got an opportunity to do wrestling and uh, through Sinbodi. And uh, uh, I trained with him some and he put me into Freak Show Wrestling, which was a really crazy live show that had. Super unorthodox, weird shit going on, like uh, you know, magicians doing magic at each other, and and uh, we did this one show that was so incredible. It was in uh, one of the other guys that I trained with was Rikishi from uh, 
you guys know, remember him. And uh, he, he has a school here that a lot of the Samoan dudes, like The Rock, he's part of that family. Mm-hmm. And and Rikishi is part of that family too. That that huge Samoan family that has like a million different wrestlers from it coming from it. And they right. had an up and coming guy that they were training there when I was uh, working out there and stuff. But he used to let us use his ring to do freak show wrestling in L.A. So we were doing a show in L.A. and a show in Las Vegas every month. And uh, uh, but we did this one. The last show we did, <laughs> it was like the straw that broke the camel's back show because we did two things that Rikishi hate. He hated when we went over time, you know, and he had to stay late to close the place. And he hated when we made a mess. And man, this show was the, like was the both in spades. Cause he like, it, this was the show where, uh, we, there was supposed to be an octopus under the ring. Right. So he made these, foam rubber octopus tentacles, you know? So while the match is going on, uh, the octopus ten- the wrestlers are fighting the octopus tentacles. So on top of that, Sinbodi invited like every fucking wrestler he ever knew, plus a whole bunch of different weird celebrities and stuff. And uh, so there were so many people and it was, uh, it was like one of those, uh, Oh, what do you call it? Um, bunkhouse, bunkhouse stampede was the one that that the name I remember. But it's the one where, it's the one where every three minutes or every minute another person comes into the ring, you know, and mm-hmm. they get eliminated by throw, being thrown over the top rope like that. So I came in as Scrota Moon and I fought against Crime Time. Remember them? One of those guys is is gone now, but uh. They were really cool, and they they fought Scrota Moon and eliminated him, pushed him over the ring backwards, and he did like a back. They did a backflip over the Scrota Moon. Actually, did a backflip out of the ring, you know, <laughs> thanks to the professionalism of those two guys. Yeah. You know, it now, was awesome. It was like head over heels. My feet were up in the air, man. It was awesome. And then I came back later in the, in the same match as Techno Destructo too, which gives you an idea of how damn long the match was. Yeah. You know? mm. But that was also the first time that Techno Destructo and Serial Man fought each other too. And, uh, because Serial Man eliminated Techno Destructo and that was supposed to be the beginning of our big rivalry. Mm, the big you know. feud. Yeah. Which went on for a long time. It was really fun because he was a really big dude that could throw me around really good, you know. Mm. And uh, plus, he he played this character. He was playing the character Serial Man. His name is Derek Smith, and he was playing the character of Serial Man before he met me. And then I just uh, helped him revamp his his uh, look and all a little bit. And I taught him a little some about how to work with the latex rubber and stuff the way that I do. And then he took the ball and ran with it and like. He's done some really cool uh, variations of his costume and stuff. And last I heard, he was he was he's been really kicking ass in that uh, in Hood Slam, which I actually got to do a couple times too, which was really fun. Hell yeah, that's, that's in my show, neck of the woods. So if you ever come up here, I got to see that. Yeah, up in San, it's in San Francisco. Yeah, and San Francisco. It's, it's really yeah. weird. Yeah, man, he does. Those guys are crazy, man. They, I saw a match. Most of his characters in his show are based on video game characters and stuff. 
Hmm. And uh, but he's he's had some really incredibly awesome shows. Like uh, there was a Halloween show that I was involved in, where uh, everybody was turning into zombies and like came back as zombies at the end, or, or different characters in the show were you know, different regular characters were getting turned into zombies. It was it was really funny. Hmm. And he played this character that's like a nurse. That's uh, it's a takeoff on the nurse from the Alice Cooper show. Uh, that yeah. uh, oh man, he, the way he plays her, <laughs> he plays her like she's sort of a zombie, you know. And and uh, but it's it, it's really hilarious. Say it's no really more. Hilarious. I but am that there. Really good. <laughs> yeah, and they had one time I saw the match that really blew me away though was one that the two characters were the guy the the guy from Street Fighter Two. You know, so one of them had the red suit oh. on, and one of them had the white suit on. Yeah, that'd you know? be a Ken and Ryu. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So they were they were dressed up like those two characters, and they did a hardcore match that where they were climbing way up onto like this the scaffolding sort of stuff that was really high, and then they would fucking jump off onto tables of barbed wire and stuff. And I was like, man, I just can't believe that, you know, they're surviving this. I, I just can't believe my eyes, you know. It's like, because me personally, I like the fake blood, you know. I much prefer the fake blood, you know. And hats off to those guys that hit each other with barbed wire, you know, wrap baseball bats and stuff. Or the hardcore those guys that like... Yeah, man, the putting those uh, tubes, those fluorescent tubes on the ropes and then smashing each other into them until you turn, they turn like white like a ghost from all that toxic powder. And then they're oh, they're covered with little bits of glass that are bleeding. It's like, it's crazy, man. It's crazy. That's the only but, one know. where I get kind of squeamish at because uh, there's another guy out of Philly I want to say the band's name was Barbarian or something. I never saw them, but uh, he was uh, friends with uh, a buddy out of there that I had, Brian. Um, and this motherfucker would, would eat the fluorescent tubes. And I just, like, you know, unfortunately the guy died really young. He actually died the week that I was there visiting in Philly. But, uh, you know, there's videos of it on YouTube. He's just taking massive bites right into the tube and during these uh, hardcore shows i'm like man that's that's just a level i i can't i can't ever get to <laughs> all that new yeah, jack man. shit that's not no good <laughs> yeah like in the in the early days when we were doing guar gg allen was out there doing all kinds of crazy stuff right. like that and rolling around in shit on the stage and you know taking a crap in front of the audience and then rolling around in it and crap and and breaking glass and all kinds of stuff like that. And, and people were like, oh, man, you guys are fake, you know, because he, he like he's supposed to be more hardcore than we are. But, dude, he can have it, man. If you want to roll around <laughs> in real sh- shit and stuff, I, I would much rather make some chocolate shit and put it in a baggie myself. Because uh, the fun. audience can see it. This is good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, this is much fun. And plus, that was the other cool thing about the transition between doing uh, gore effects with gore and doing them in a wrestling show. And that was one of the things I experimented with with Serial Man a lot, because when you make that 
blood bags, when you the way we do the blood, it uh, it's really slippery, and so even when you try to clean it up afterwards, which part of what I would do a lot of times is I make part of the show is my dominatrix making me clean up the ring because I just got my ass kicked, you know, which is funny in itself. So, right. <laughs> uh, so cleaning up the ring is like part of the show in a way, but um, uh, at the same time, I had to a lot of those. Uh, promoters and stuff are getting the ring from, you know, people that are lending it to them or stuff like that. So they don't want their ring to get covered with blood and stuff like that. They want it to try to keep it clean most of the time, unless you're doing like freak show wrestling or something. But anyway, the uh, so we had to work with how to do it so that I can uh, squirt it into the audience and not and on each other, but not get it all over the ring and stuff. So then that even worked better because then I brought that back to Guar again. And when I came back to Guar, I was surprised they weren't even doing the blood bags anymore. And I was like, oh, man, you got to do the blood bag. So we started doing it again. We had It's really fun. It's really fun because you can do it controlled as opposed to hosing the audience down with the fire extinguisher kind of spew, you know, when the guy gets his head chopped off and the blood shoots 15 feet into the audience. Because, uh, you, you know, that takes a rig. You have to have a spew tube and you have to have a compressor and stuff like that. And the hose and everything. You but can't with the, do that in the wrestling show. But with the blood bags, you, you got the uh, mobility to run around. And uh, what makes the brain so stringy? Because you can definitely see in the videos, like, you're taking just such a gnarly bite and, like, pulling it away, and you get this fucking foot-long strand of brain matter. Well, I try to hook the baggie on my teeth so that it stretches. And so what you're seeing is actually the ba- the stretchy plastic baggie oh. that gets all gloppy. Oh, hell yeah. There you go. Nice. Like that. Yeah, see, I'll tell you, I'll tell you for the audience people, if you want to try this, it's pretty easy. All you have to do is you get a pitcher, like you, since we'd be playing at a bar, bars have lots of pitchers, so I would get a pitcher, and I would just fill it up with uh, hot water out of the tap. You don't have to boil it or anything. Just, you know, hot water out of the tap. But first, before you put the water in, you get egg noodles, the flat, wide egg rules noodles like you would make in a casserole or something you know not the not macaroni noodles because they aren't going to melt enough you want to get flat egg noodles because they're going to get just melt and turn into like a mushy goo like oatmeal or something so what you do is you you fill the pitcher up with those and then you take your food color and you don't want to put too much you put some yellow in and then maybe i would put a couple of drops of blue or a couple of drops of red but not too much because you want it to be a bright color. You want it to be, I like it to be bright yellow, like orange or green. And uh, then uh, you just let the noodles sit for like an hour or so or however much time you have. Usually I'll set up, when I get to a new place, I'll try, if I'm going to be doing gore, I'll start it right away, start setting it up right away. And then you take the, the handful of noodles and you just, you get a baggie, it's like a sandwich bag, like not a um, not a Ziploc one, but a pleated one that folds over. So you just grab a handful of the mushy noodles and put them in there. And they don't even have to be 
all the way dissolved yet. In fact, it's better if they're not. You can put them in there, and then they'll finish dissolving while they're sitting there waiting for the show, you know. And uh, then they're ready to go. And so it's a baggie. It's just a baggie full of noodles, basically. And uh, then when you grab it, you just grab it in your teeth and rip the baggie. And that's that's what that's what you're seeing. And uh, it's it's super fun. <laughs> it's super fun. I know what I'm going to be trying after the show tonight. Yeah, me too. <laughs> we'll get some noodles after this. Yeah, but the thing about it is that like. Uh, we don't. I don't do that with Guar anymore. Like Guar stopped doing that because when you do a, a show night after night after night with me doing techno and stuff, I do it every once in a while. I don't do it that much, and it's easy for me to clean up, you know. But when you're doing the Guar show and stuff, and you have multiple special effects, so we were used to put those noodle bags and all kinds of stuff. Pretty much everybody, me and the executioner, used to go crazy with it. And then whenever somebody would get cut, cut open or anything, we would always be grabbing the, the noodle bags and ripping them open, you know, so it was and flinging the shit into the audience, you know. Mm. But it'll that it drives to like a hard pasty sort of stuff. But if like for instance with Guar, we would after the show you pack all your shit up, put it in a box, and you go to the next show, you know. If you, it'll, it can fester in there it, and fly, it can turn into like a maggot farm, you know, mm. where, uh, like for instance, Odorous would throw his mask on all of a sudden and, and ick, there's a bunch of maggots in it, in his oh, little pouch where the brain bags go, you know? <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then you got to like throw that. maggots on the, on the audience. Yeah. So, yeah, it was, I mean, every night when he would throw that mask on, I mean, it was nasty. It was. It would be all gross from the night before. And a lot of people, when they do gore effects and stuff, will use the uh, uh, syrup, Cairo syrup, or the clear syrup, or chocolate syrup is really good with uh, food, just red food dye put in it. Those all look good. They work really good, but they're really sticky. They're, they dry really, really sticky and gross, and flies love them, too. So, like, if you get the shit on you, it'll, you know, flies will get all over it, you know? Fun fact about uh, chocolate syrup. That's what they used for the blood and the original Night of the Living Dead. And I think it was the first Evil Dead. They were using Cairo syrup that was dyed. And uh, <laughs> Bruce Campbell has this story where he, like, tries to put on a shirt and it ends up like kind of shattering in, in half of the shirt because it was just so caked with syrup and it had dried in the fabric. <laughs> yeah, it's gross. It's gross. And I, one of the things I've been doing here in, in L.A. too is, uh, especially since COVID, COVID pretty much shut down my wrestling career. I was really pissed because I was in killer shape right when COVID broke. I was in fucking killer shape, and I was I – was, uh, a lot of people were interested in letting me be in their shows and stuff. And I just met up with the micro uh, mania guys that I was just talking about. And we actually, I was going to be in their show and we were going to debut techno destructos, uh, little person sidekick. We, I made the costume and everything. We did a promo video where I, uh, me and Barrister Orlock create, uh, 
the Destructo Might, you know. And we were going to debut it at the Whiskey A Go Go. And that very week, that very week, uh, COVID shut down the universe. It sucked, man. It sucked. And then all the gyms shut down. So, boom, I can't go. I can't train anymore, mm-hmm. you know. And I've trained, I've been training, uh, you know, since I was, the way I started training was I, I went on a tour with Guar and hurt myself. I hurt my shoulder, like, really bad. And I had to. It was in a show. It was in a week-long tour to Canada, and we were doing like only about five or seven shows or something like that. And uh, I yanked my shoulder in like the first show because we. It was at the end of the winter, and we hadn't. I hadn't done shows in a long time, and I let myself fall out of shape, and it took me forever to grow back together from that. And so I was like, never again. And I got a gym membership and started uh, working out all the time. And uh, I got hooked on it and the health, extra health benefits and stuff. So anybody, man, I would definitely recommend it to anybody. But the other thing, too, is is uh, I never know when I'm going to be able to, I'm going to be called on to perform. Like somebody could call me tomorrow and say, hey, next week, there's a show. Do you want to do it? You know, and of course I want to do it. So I want to have to make sure that I'm in shape for it, you know. Mm. But when all the gyms shut down, uh, all of a sudden, I couldn't train right anymore. And at my age and stuff, I fell out of shape like really fast, and it sucked. And I was super pissed, man. And I still, I went on, I uh, um, beat myself back into shape, and went on tour with Guar. But I'm still not back to where I was before. But during that time, I started doing other stuff. Like I started working uh, working with this guy named James Balsamo, who is a for his age, it's unbelievable that he's actually produced and finished like 30 movies. But he, And he puts out these incredible B-movies. They're like trauma-style uh, movies where they have a really low budget and they're really cheesy, but they're really funny. And, and, uh, and, uh, what was I've his been, name? We did, his name is James Balsamo. And we... Worked, I worked on these two movies with him. One was called Alien Danger, and the other one was called Alien Danger 2. <laughs> and uh, they're pretty crazy. They're pretty crazy. And I built some monsters in it. And Techno Destructo is actually uh, in them. Does a sort of a cameo in the first one, and then he has a little bit bigger cameo in the second one, where I actually got to wrestle in the second in the second one. And this was a this is a crazy story. So I get to. I was going to be wrestle. He's like, oh, man, I want Techno Destructo to be in the next thing. And I'm thinking about putting a wrestling scene in it. You know, are you into it? And I was like, hell, yeah, I want to do that. And uh, and so I'm getting all excited about it. And then one day he says, well, I've got it all straight. It's going to be uh, the guys you're going to be uh, fighting against is the demolition. And I was like, the demolition? You mean those guys that had like the backgammon like painted on them like a hundred million years ago? Aren't those guys like Methuselah's age by now? How can they possibly wrestle? You know? And uh, he's like, well, I got them. I got them. We they can't do much, you know. And I was like, man, those guys are going to be so fragile, and all we can't. We're not going to be able to do anything. It's going to look like shit. But you know he didn't he didn't really care. His attitude was he wanted the big name, you know, on the marquee to get people to buy the video. Mm. And uh, so 
it was it was more about name name recognition. But then it turns out that one of them was as the date got closer, uh, one of them had some kind of a medical problem and uh, had to back out of it. So they were like, we're going to send these other guys instead. And it turns out that the other guys turned out to be the powers of pain, which is the warlord and the barbarian, which are two of the guys that when I was uh, doing Guar, when we were first starting to do Guar, and we were like all super into wrestling and used to go to the Coliseum and root for Ivan Koloff and stuff like that at the Coliseum, the barbarian was definitely one of them, and the warlord came along shortly after. And uh, so those, they were like, wow, those are the guys I love. Because at, at the time, uh, amongst my friends anyway, we liked what we used to call the real redneck wrestling. And we hated the WWE. We hated Hulk Hogan. We were always going, oh, man, if Ric Flair was ever to face Hulk Hogan, he would tear him into pieces, you know, and uh, stuff like that. And we, we always used to make fun of, of uh, WWE and stuff, and then it all went gangstery, and they destroyed the entire wrestling universe. But that's a whole nother story. <laughs> but uh, what were we? Oh yeah, we were talking about the powers of pain. So I got—I actually got to work with the powers of pain, but even they were like super old and stuff, and we had to be really careful. But man, those guys were so huge, I couldn't believe it. I, I couldn't believe it, but yeah, it was really fun. I actually got to get in the ring with them and all, and and uh, we did. I did some techno destructo stuff and all like that. And that that movie is available. It's called Alien Danger Two, and uh, you can. I think what what James Balsamo's deal is is he makes these these movies and goes straight to video with them, and he has a contract with uh, like Walmart and and. Uh, Kmart and, and Target and stuff. So it's in their online catalog, and you can go on there and get by the DVD. You know. Mm. Yeah, I was uh, I was checking Isn't out the a- uh, IMDb page. I was looking for places to uh, to order myself a copy. Check it out. It looks super yeah. B sci fi. <laughs> yeah, this guy reminds me yeah, of yeah, uh, Lloyd like- Kaufman. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, it's not gonna. It's it's uh. It's definitely not going to compete with the Avengers, as far as. Uh, but it, but it is does have some amusing, funny shit going on, and it was fun. He's a fun guy. He's a he's a fun guy to work with, and who knows? I you know I'd I'd really like to do some kind of a like techno destructo movie with mm. that because I've got a lot of footage of wrestling techno techno wrestling and doing different things, and. Uh, it wouldn't be that much of a stretch to be able to fit it all together into some kind of a movie, you know. And uh, he's got the distribution deal, so that's uh, that's something I'm really been thinking about doing that maybe I shouldn't even be talking about yet. But one thing I can <laughs> talk about that that just came out, and you can you can check out all this stuff. Like if you want to see me wrestling and stuff. I've got a lot of funny videos that are on the House of Huntar YouTube page, and there's also a HouseofHuntar.com webpage that 
talks about there's information on it about guar and information on it about lots of other junk. It's it's I haven't been able to update it in a pretty good while, but anyway, I've been around for a super long time, so there's plenty of content there. But uh, and you can one of the new exciting things that's so new I don't think I've even posted it on the site yet is I had it for sale on the uh, guar tour, but I just put out a comic book. That's like a full color, 48 page, self published comic. And uh, it's called When Heroes Roam the Earth. And it's about a post apocalyptic world with superheroes duking it out for uh, the scraps of what's left of the universe. And uh, this particular story features this like crazy punk rock chick that's like the all American superhero. And her name is Lady Liberty. And she's fighting against. Panzer leader and the legion of undead neo-Nazis who have all these robots that look like World War II tanks. So it's really fun. <laughs> it's, it's, it's about, it's a, just as, you know, in these troubled times, we need some guidance, something that's going to bring some sanity to the chaos of the world that we live in today. But this is not that story. This is just about a, a punk rock chick with hardly any clothes on ripping robots apart with her bare hands. And Good thighs, stuff. if we're lucky. <laughs> yeah. Yes, please. So, yeah, so you can check it out on the House of Hontar webpage. Uh, although I haven't posted it yet, I'm going to post it soon because I'm trying to get it out in time because the real exciting thing that I want to talk about tonight is that on July the 21st, they're actually releasing a really amazing uh, Guar documentary that this this guy has uh, been following us around for like more than a couple of years. He interviewed me like two or three years ago, maybe, and uh, he came to an art gallery show I was doing and did a, a whole bunch of interview stuff, shot a whole bunch of interview stuff with me. He actually sent a videographer to video me wrestling and he, he went to the match i think i mentioned it along the way where uh it was a title match i had against sin Bodhi for the uh freak show wrestling title that i lost i don't know how i possibly lost it but somehow i did it was probably rigged but it, yeah yeah but uh but um, this documentary is going to be really good because it, ta- it talks about the whole history of Gore, how it got started, and he interviewed all the people involved, in, including a lot of weird satellite people that he tracked down, you know, just to verify and cross-examine people's accounts. <laughs> mm-hmm. So uh, it should be pretty interesting. I'm, I haven't even seen it yet myself, but... Uh, I know that the guys in Guar have all seen it. I've heard their critique of it and stuff. And uh, I've seen snippets and parts of it and all. And uh, so I think think it's going to be really cool and and worth checking out. And I think you have a link on it to your thing. I think it's called That's Guar. Isn't that correct? Isn't that right? I I believe it was This is Guar. Confirm that here. This is Guar. That's right. This is Guar. Yeah, I like that title much better. The real one. This is Guar. <laughs> and it's uh it's yeah. it comes out on that uh it's the uh horror sci-fi Netflix 
spinoff, uh, Shutter, I believe. It's one of the streaming services online. They got a lot of. I think uh-huh. uh, uh, Joe Briggs, Dr- Late Night Drive-In, is on there still. He's doing movie reviews and whatnot. I, I'm. I cannot be more pumped about this. I love all of the uh, just the um, the early days footage. The costumes were just. Uh, you know, they they looked battle worn and raw and just <laughs> and uh, just the yeah, interviews well, you know, with everybody and uh, not to mention there was uh, y'all did a live stream of the 30th anniversary show of Scum Dogs of the Universe, which came out uh, was that last year, right? Yeah, yeah, that was fun too because I got to go up that I hadn't seen. There were a lot of guys that I hadn't seen them in 20 years. And and uh, I hadn't spoken to many of them in that amount of time. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Well, how? I mean, yeah. how was? But I figured the, it was. How was, it was the, fun? I had a, okay. Go ahead. Say what you're going to say. Uh, I was just going to ask uh, how was the experience overall. I, I think there's a little bit of a delay, so that that might account for the stepping on you. Uh, well, um. Well, you know, I'm a super, I'm a super intense professional when it comes to the art and what we're trying to do. You know, I'm like a real the show must go on kind of a guy, and so I went there with the attitude, you know, that. In fact, I wore two. I was talking to this friend of mine who, if if she's listening, she'll chuckle when she hears me tell the story. But I wore two rubber bands around my wrist, and I also, which is, I also had like a weird deja vu dream about it too, where I'm getting ready. This is like even months before I ever imagined that I would ever go back to Guar again. I had a dream, right, where I'm in my full techno gear, and there I am at stage side, waiting for my moment to come on stage, right. And there's a girl that I don't know. I've ne- I've never seen this girl before. She's standing beside me, and she points to the two rubber bands around my wrist, and she goes, "I thought you had a tattoo. I saw that, and I thought you had two stripes as a tattoo around your wrist." And I showed her my wrist, and I said, "No, it's two rubber bands." But and that's the whole dream, right? That's the whole dream. So then, <laughs> months later. Without even, you know, I forget about that dream. And this this sort of thing happens to me a lot, by the way. But anyway, so I forget about that dream. And I'm talking to this friend of mine, and we're joking about me encountering these people I haven't seen in 20 years and stuff. So I put two rubber bands around my wrist, and I was like, well, if anybody ever tries to make me go into negativity land where they're trying to bait me into an argument or something, I'll just snap this rubber band you know, to remember, to remind myself not to go there, you know, because I want to be positive. I want to make this uh, project we're working on good, and I don't want to be distracted by any people that are trying to to scrape open old wounds. You see what I mean, you know? So that was my attitude the whole time, and I had a blast. Everybody was really nice to me, you know, and uh, – um. Without Dave there, it was much nicer, you know, <laughs> it, to be honest. <laughs> and uh, it was a much more sane experience, 
and uh, I had a blast. I had a good time. Everybody was nice to me, and uh, I worked with the guy, and we did that scene in the beginning where they let me pretty much say, uh, uh, like, Hunter, what do you want to do? How do you want to do this? You know, and they let me pretty much write the how I wanted to come out and, and uh, with the cloak and act like I'm all old, you know, and then I throw it off and go, I'm the real destructor. And, I, and, and then I, I was like, well, let's do the uh, let's do the beginning where the two characters, uh, Sawborg and uh, Bozo, like find me foraging in an alley somewhere. And then they try to like, you know, wake me out of my amnesia by beating me up a little bit. And uh, that'll that'll be that turned out to be the intro to the show, you know, and it was really funny. And it was fun. And another thing happened on the way was we were doing that scene with uh, Bad Bitch because I played Bad Bitch in the show too. And uh, we were doing the scene where Casey Orsh snorts that huge line of coke. You know, do you remember that? Mm-hmm. So I was like, uh, we were talking about what we sh- we should do, and I was like, "Hey, man, let's take a giant straw, and we'll we'll take a like a paper towel tube, I think it was, and we'll crunch up a bunch of styrofoam, and and uh, put it in the straw, and then we'll do it backwards, you know, where he if he's in the straw and he's holding it up, and then he taps it out, leans over and taps it out into a line on the table." You know, so then you you show it in reverse, and it looks like he snorts this ungodly amount of cocaine up a <laughs> straw. You the, know? the Swiss Alps. <laughs> yeah, and it worked because because see that was that right there. That's the whole doing little tricks and funny stuff like that. That's the whole reason that I did Guar. It's the whole reason that I do professional wrestling because it's about making the movie. It's about making the promo. It's about doing a live spectacle that I can videotape and then later on put a movie out, you know, because I originally, I went to school to be a, to make movies and make animated movies and stuff like that. So that, but you know, I never had access to the equipment, you know, because back then in order to be able to edit video and stuff, you had to have like an ungodly amount of super expensive equipment. You know, and most of the people who had enough money to have that much equipment were fucking idiots and didn't know how to use it, you know, mm-hmm. and that was the, that, that was my big dilemma and big problem the whole way. Cause like the first, when we did live from Antarctica, we, the, the film crew that we worked with, all they had ever done was like golf events and the, the governor's, uh, addresses and things like that and uh they they had you know the guy goes in there and he brags about all the equipment that he has but he doesn't know how to use it he's never done anything creative in his whole life you know and uh but somehow we we've got that you know the first live from antarctica out you know anyway (laughs) it happened anyway and like one of the best scenes in that movie in that video i think is the scene where Beefcake is riding the chariot that's pulled by human slaves down the highway, you know? Oh, for and cool. And cars are... For cool place, cool to, place park. to park. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and, and he's doing it on the highway, and, and he's like cars are honking at him and about to run over him and stuff, you know? And then I had to fight to get that in, you know, uh, 
but it, but I'm glad it was worth the battle, you know. And for that one cool scene that did get in there, there were probably a dozen other equally cool scenes that didn't, you know. And that was what you, was happening with Guar the whole way, the whole time, you know. It was like we were always held back by uh, our access to technology, or you know. But then over the years, like for instance, as computers came out and stuff, that allowed me to do, like I had been financing a lot of my film projects or movie projects I wanted to do by videotaping Guar and selling VHS tapes on the road and through the mail of. Guar videos, you know, Guar shows, live Guar shows and stuff like that. Like, uh, you've probably seen them because they're all out there. The the next mutation is one where we were on a local horror movie show with a host. And uh, so in the commercials, like just like what Elvira used to do, you know, where they would show a totally shitty movie and then in the in, have a long commercial break where they have a segment where they talk about how shitty the movie was, or what, you know. <laughs> so he was doing that. He was doing that, and I already knew him from because uh, we had gone to college together. And I was like, "Oh man, how are you doing? I get, I've been doing this crazy band, and that was when we first started, you know. And everybody was go, shaking their heads and going, "What are you guys idiots? Why are you doing this, you know?" But uh, it, it's been a long road, you know, and it's a it's a hand over fist journey, you know. But uh, but uh, you know, and there's a lot of casualties along the way too. But who knows? There's still what the future holds, you know, because uh, I really had a good time working with them on this this uh, tour and stuff. And also, who knows what could happen. Yeah, I, uh, I I I did see them on this uh, previous tour. Uh, it was February of uh, last year, so you had already departed the show, so I didn't get a chance. But uh, I'm definitely hoping to um, catch you in the future with the band live, or I mean, any any wrestling show. Period. Uh, Most definitely, especially if you do Hood Slam I'm all over that. But uh, I I learned something recently by watching uh, another interview that you were on recently. I did not realize that uh, you were the one that spearheaded the the fan club side uh, of the slave pit and doing the the newsletters yeah. and the and the mailing lists and whatnot. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, because see what um, it, it's a, it ties in with what I was talking about earlier with the conventions and stuff uh, because I knew that that if people just knew what we were about, that there was a big whole mythology behind the the band, and there were all these crazy characters, and they were, we were different from any other thing that was out there, you know? So uh, what I started to do is I started to put together a newsletter. Well, the first thing I wanted to do was I wanted to establish an address that people could write to and get it. So uh, right from the first album, Hello!, there's on the album, it's printed, our uh, P.O. box. And uh, I don't remember what it is, but I think they still have that P.O. box to this day. But So I put that P.O. box, and I put, for more information on Guar, write to this P.O. box. So then when people would write to the P.O. box, I would make, I started making these little catalogs that I would send to them that would have, you know, a couple of t-shirts and some other junk that they could buy. And then, uh, but the big thing that made the difference was when I started putting out the VHS videos because there was no internet, 
You know, you couldn't uh, type in the word guar and get 50 videos, you know, and see what we were about, you know. So, uh, and and once I started making the catalogs and stuff, then I started putting together at the same time uh, the newsletter. And see, when I was going to college, I studied commercial art and stuff like that. So I knew how to do page layup and do things like that. So we eventually got a Xerox machine in the in the slave pit, and that was one of the first things that we did. We got a slave uh, got a Xerox machine so I could size the art and I could paste up the newsletters, and the newsletters were mostly just uh, newspaper clippings, you know, that I would find. I didn't write very many articles, or I didn't write anything at all, really. I did comic strips. I would write comic strips along the bottom, and I would try to encourage the other artists that were involved, because a lot of the guys were building props and costumes. There was as many of them in the band as there were musicians. And in my mind, they were every bit as important as every single musician. And I, my goal in doing that, too, was to get their art out there and get people to recognize their names and that, uh, you know, Guar is a, is a group of superstars that all contribute to this thing as a team, you know. And that was sort of where I clashed with Dave Brockie a lot is because he wanted to be – he wanted it to all be about him, you know. I don't want to talk shit about him or anything. I'm not because he was like really, he was really awesome. And Gore never would have happened if it wasn't for him because he would do crazy stuff on stage that nobody else would do. Like I would come up with these these crazy ideas, and he would come up with these crazy ideas, and he would actually do them on stage. Like when we first met each other, he was doing that band Death Piggy, and you probably heard this story before. I've told it like stop me if i've told it too many times <laughs> but where the where the spew dick comes came from was death piggy was doing a warm-up show for wendia williams from the plasmatics it was right after she had split from the plasmatics and she was doing a launching her solo career and she played at the bar that that you know gore always played at or there wasn't a guar at this time but death piggy played at and I, and i was like Hanging around with Death Piggy. Death Piggy had a work uh, um, practice space in the dairy building, which was the same building that we were building where the original slave pit was, where we started Guar. And that's how I met Dave. Is uh, he he was, had a studio space in the same place I in the same warehouse building I did, and uh, I wanted to have cool music in my in my movie I was working on. And so Death Piggy, I really liked their music and stuff. And I started hanging out with Dave, and and I collaborated with him. They, he was already doing crazy theatrical stuff on stage. Like he would make a, he would make this dummy that was supposed to be his quadriplegic uncle. That he was pissed that he would start the show talking about how he's pissed because he his mom made him babysit his quadriplegic uncle. And so he brought him to the show, <laughs> and then he would just he would and and he would just abuse him, abuse him. His name was Uncle Nobby. He called him Uncle Nobby, and he would just abuse him for the whole show, you know. So I, I thought it was funny that, that he would do anything, something that crazy and stuff. So I would collaborate with him and help him do stuff from time to time. And when Wendy Williams came to town, she had just been in Playboy, so. Um, we thought it would be funny uh, since Death Piggy was warming up for her if 
Dave brought the Playboy magazine out on stage and acted like he was jacking off looking at it, right? And so I made this this stick out of a um, it had like a flexible vacuum cleaner hose base, and then it was made out of a ketchup bottle like you would would be at a diner, you know. And then I mm-hmm. made a, a dick head that you could screw off, so you could fill it up with something, and then you know screw the dick head back on, and it was ready to go. And uh, so Dave came out, but the audience realized like almost immediately what was going to happen. And they like parted like the Red Sea and the stuff just squirted on the floor. But it was still pretty funny. It was a funny stunt. But that was the first time <laughs> that we ever did any kind of a spew dick effect. And I, I guess that sort of later on evolved into, into odorous or something. Those but, guys had no they, idea yeah, that they were witnessing history. Yeah, see, and Dave's the, like, sure, plenty of people might think of that idea, like, at while they're hanging out at practice, you know, bullshitting around and laugh about it. But Dave was the kind of person that he would actually get up on stage and actually do that super embarrassing thing, you know. Mm-hmm. And same thing with, with the way I played Techno Destructo is, uh, you know, Techno Destructo is, like, super awesome and badass at first, but then he's going to get, you know, something really horrible, you know, is going to happen to him, you know, but that's part of the fun of the story. And I'm willing to take that punishment. Like I love getting beat up by slime Enstra and, and having her squirt her p- pussy juice all in my face and stuff like that. It's fun, <laughs> you know, but not everybody would be into that, you know, <laughs> you had to go from, uh, walking in and kicking ass and taking names to, to, uh, hold on. What is going on here? On oh my goodness! Begging for mercy. Yeah. I guess the phone's gonna ring until uh, they hang up, because I can't put it on Do Not Disturb until uh, they disconnect, or it'll disconnect you. Sorry about this. Please stop. <laughs> <laughs> I can't hear it from where I am. Oh, okay. oh, good. It's my phone. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> the uh, the the voice app that you're call that we're calling you through. Uh, someone was leaving a voicemail and the ringer was going, but I can't put it on Do Not Disturb without disconnecting you. So uh, it's all good there. I um so uh, during our show we like to take a intermission, listen to some music and whatnot. Would you be willing to stick around for the second part of the show? Uh, I definitely got uh, more questions I'd love to throw at you. Sure. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Well, uh, oh, thank you. Yeah. Very cool. Very legal. Yeah. Lavish made up this intermission uh, for us tonight. What's uh, what you got in store for us? Oh, it's uh, about 11 minutes or so. Uh, just some, some, some tunes I found, uh, you know, we like to, we like to keep it fresh. It's a little, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. Gotcha. Just, just for, it's, it's for the faint. You love it. <laughs> Um, so Hunter, we can, uh, we can dis- disconnect now and, and in about 11 minutes, we can give you a, a ring back. Does that sound good? That's fine. We'll take ourselves a break here and, uh, we're looking forward to it. When we come back, we're doing yeah. the second half interview with, uh, Hunter Jackson. Awesome, sir. Thank you very much. It's going to be a killer time, everybody. We'll, uh, we'll be right back. We're both in Skull and Bones, the secret society. 
It's so secret we can't talk about it. What does that mean for America? The conspiracy theorists are going to go watch. I'm sure they are. I don't know. I haven't seen the web. Number 322. First of all, he's not the nominee. And, uh, but, uh, look, I look for... Are you prepared to lose? No, I'm not going to lose. You both were members of Spell and Bones, a secret society at Yale. What does that tell us? Uh, not much, because it's a secret. <laughs> Is there a secret handshake? Is there a secret code? I wish there were something secret I could manifest. 322? Secret number? Uh, there are all kinds of secrets, Tim, but one thing is not a secret. I disagree with this president's direction that he's taking the country. We can do a better job, and I intend to do it. And we'll be watching Be Safe on the Campaign Trail. John Kerry, thanks for joining us. And we'll be right back. Cannot die, McLeod. Accept it. <laughs> Hate you. Good. That is a perfect way to start. Tell me, how did it happen, for God's sake? Why does the sun come up? Hmm? Or are the stars just pinholes in the curtain of night? Who knows?
There's a consistent pattern when it comes to drug use that in almost every single instance, Congressman O'Rourke supports more of it.
We now return to Behind the Schemes. Starring Booberry, 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 Booberry. Welcome back to Second Second Half a Show for episode 106 of Behind the Schemes, where we were just joined by Techno Destructo for the first half of the show. That's right. Oh man, you got some noise coming through. Uh, yeah, we're hanging out with Hunter Jackson, aka Techno Destructo of Guar fame and of many other fames. Indeed, indeed, and we're getting ready to to get him back on the line here. Uh, we are doing things a little out of uh, order for tonight. Uh, we're going to save any boostograms and freaks of hazards for the end of the show, uh, so that we can get straight back into this interview. Um, and I, it looks like I was able to get some of the helipad stuff, or the excuse me, the raspy blitz stuff working. So we'll see if maybe I can <clears throat> flush the the handle a little harder. We'll see what happens. Mm. <laughs> yeah, flush that. Flush that handle. Well, in that regards, I suppose we'll uh, get Hunter back on the line here. Yes, sounds good. Hello? Hello, hello again. You're hello live again. on the air, caller. <laughs> you there? Yes, we are. Okay. All right, let me turn this off. I'm watching Mazinga Z. Whoops, I turned it the wrong way. Sorry. <laughs> wrong way, wrong yeah, way, turn wrong it up. Way. <laughs> okay. All right. So I was uh, I was wanting to maybe shoot off a couple of uh, rapid fire questions here. Uh, there were some things that have piqued my curiosity as of late. Uh, starting off first, who is Gashley Super Massive? Oh wow, man! She uh, is connected to. Um, well, I just recently did a thing where I played the game Munchkin, the card game Munchkin. Oh yeah. Uh, on a web show, and I hope that you know the name of the show because I it, it escapes me at the moment. I, but, uh, I actually have it saved. I can uh, go back to that right now. Uh, but please continue. Well, um. This friend of mine, Ryan Haley, who I've collaborated with it with a lot since I've moved here to L.A. He and I, he and I uh, accidentally bumped into each other. Actually, we met at the same uh, at my first wrestling show in L.A. for Sin Bodhi. He was there videotaping it. It was like the wedding. It was a wedding for uh, a guy. And, uh, and his girlfriend, who were in this band called the Radioactive Chicken Heads, who uh, are really cool. Um, they all wear these weird, bizarre chicken head costumes, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you can see why I like them, because I like weird shit like that. Yeah, and the uh, so lead singer's wear... got this uh, battle vest with a giant carrot head <laughs> with sunglasses. Yeah, Carrot yeah. Top. Yeah. <laughs> he's called Carrot Top. <laughs> yeah, he's a really cool guy. And uh, I've worked with them a lot, collaborated with them a lot over the over the years since I've been in L.A. But anyway, they were getting married. A couple of them were getting married. And uh, they were going to do it in Las Vegas and at a big show that was going to be hosted by Sin Bodhi. And Jake the Snake Roberts, who is Sin Bodhi's uh, mentor, was going to deliver the service, you know, be the preacher, because he's, he's a certified minister and all that stuff. And... Uh, 
Ryan was there because he knew the he had met some of the chicken head dudes and uh was there to videotape the event. And uh so that was when I first met him and started working with him. And we did a we worked together on a uh a DVD that I actually sell on the website that is a freak show wrestling DVD and that was of that very show and it uh it's pretty funny. But anyway, uh yeah, so so that was how that all happened. And the uh, name of that channel was Funhouse on YouTube. It's uh, it's linked already down in the show notes, so uh, feel free to circle back and check that out. <laughs> it was pretty funny. <laughs> Had a good time with it. I've never played Munchkins, but uh, it's definitely given me the itch. I'm, I'm trying to get it. It's not a bad game. It gets a bad rep, don't you think, Hunter? Sometimes I think people make fun of it because well, it's simple, it, it, but I love it. a certain sense of humor. There's a like a sense of humor to it that not everybody appreciates, kind of. Yeah, I would agree. You know, and um, so it, if uh, it, so, it all depends on that. In fact, there are plenty of cards in it that I cringe and hate when they come up. Like there's, but there are other people that that's their favorite cards. You know, cards that might want you to stand up and sing a song or something like that. You know, yeah, yeah. I hate those kind of cards. But uh, <laughs> it's easy because. You know, I solved the problem. I just removed all those cards out of my deck, you know? Sure. <laughs> just like, Easy. Yeah, just like there's cards that uh, make things happen, like they'll make, uh, you know, you may have a, uh, for instance, there's a weapon called the Gentleman's Club, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's a club with a, it's a big club, cartoony club with a spike going through it. But you, it's only usable by males, right, in the game. So something might happen to you in the game, it makes you change your sex, you know, mm-hmm. and then you can't use your gentleman's club anymore, you know, but there are certain people that would be super offended by that, like playing a game that something like that happens, you know, and so, yeah. but hey, it's, a, it, you know, just eliminate the card, dude, don't sue the company. You know? Maybe eliminate uh, that player player from the table. Don't invite that guy back, <laughs> yeah. whoever that guy is. <laughs> that, that's an option as well. That's an option as well. <laughs> but Ryan Haley, I worked on a bunch of different cool stuff with him, and I learned a lot about editing and uh, and stuff like that and uh, from him. And he has his own uh, website stuff up there. I wish I, I think you, uh, if you look up Ryan, Ryan Haley, but he was doing a really funny game show thing called Ryan's Game Show, which was what he was he was uh, he filmed it out of the garage, and it's like what if you were like a kid that lived in your your you know parents garage and you wanted to do a game show so he would do uh every episode would be a, a parody of a different game show and stuff it was really mm-hmm. hilarious it was it was pretty funny but uh, anyway good. yeah i think i found a link to that but, nice check that one out yeah and he he did like a ton of episodes so he sort of like the um you know, it was like he he wanted to learn from it. It was an exercise in you know learning how to put these things together. So he he shot like an ungodly amount of them in a really short period of time. And and at one point when I knew him, he set a goal that he was going to put out fifty shorts in the course of a year, and uh, he did. And he wow. actually he has one he did a he did one that's gone viral because he's from Memphis. 
So he did a uh, like a tourism video because he's from Memphis, so he knows all the tourist spots, you know. So mm-hmm. he did them as in sort of a funny, uh, jaded, I live here and these are all the <laughs> tourist spots yeah. kind of attitude that was that wasn't offensive, you know, it was entertaining. And uh, it was tongue in cheek, you know, as they say. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and it was it wasn't offensive. So uh all the next thing you know, all these politicians and stuff, local politicians start sharing his video and it goes boom, it goes viral. <laughs> you know? Nice. Yeah. Now we, we were talking really about Memphis guy. uh a couple of weeks ago. Oh yeah. Memphis came up. The Memphis rap sigils, uh yeah, this, uh, kind of. Would you call it maybe a urban legend? That yeah, would, that would feel appropriate. It was this musical uh, lore, you know. Yeah, out of uh, Memphis, uh, it was alleged. Legend has it that um, there was a group of horrorcore rappers that had uh, went on a murder spree and used the screams of their victims as they were being tortured to death. Uh, they they chopped them up and used them as samples and uh, created all these these series of mix mixtapes that you're supposed to listen to in this like a uh, specific order in order to summon uh, demons and other such evil sort of shit. Yeah, real real sacrifice satanic uh, rappers out of Memphis, you know, doing good work. <laughs> Damn! Wow! All these people you may have heard that. of, like Three Six Mafia and. Uh, some other cats, even uh, uh, Bone Thugs and Harmony, are alleged to have you know participated mm-hmm. in this sort of thing. This is a pretty spooky story. I mean, it's uh, I like I like it weird. I like weird stories like that. Mm-hmm. It kind of adds to the mythos. <laughs> mythos of crazy shit. Yeah, yeah. Memphis is a fun town. They got a big pyramid uh, Bass Pro Center. It's cool. Yeah. Uh, let, let's keep firing off uh, questions. Uh, so this is kind of a two-parter. Uh, did you ever work with Green Jello after you moved to LA? And do you have a a funny or weird uh, or good Holly Weird story about Green Jello? Uh, well, f- sorry. The first question was: Did you encounter or work with Green Jello when, after you moved to LA? And then, uh, do you have a good? Uh, just like on the topic of LA, do you have like a funny Hollywood story in general, or a weird oh, one? Okay. All right. Well, um, yeah. So when uh, after I moved up here, uh, that was sort of another way that I met Ryan Haley is because the guy from Green Jello, Bill Manspeaker, uh, he had this get rich quick scheme that uh, he wanted to do a reality show and he wanted to rent like a place that had a lot of small rooms and rent the rooms out to tons of different people, uh, just interesting people that he uh, thought would be fun to video, you know? Mm -hmm. And then he put, he installed cameras all over the place and was going to try to make a TV series out of it. But, uh, so, um, Oh man, I wish I could remember some names to drop on you. There was the guy from uh, Fishbone was one oh. of the guys there, yep. but he used to. There were a lot of Green Jello parties and stuff, 
there, and that's that's where I met the radioactive chicken heads as well, because at the time the radioactive chicken heads were green jello, basically. Oh, I did not know but that. That was fun. Huh? I, I did not realize that. That's uh, that's interesting. Well, you know, Bill Bill brags that I don't know what the count is up to now, but he brags that there's been oh, like 260 some. Last I heard the number. Oh, members of the band, yeah. He's got a, a, band. a Guinness record of some capacity. Uh, but yeah, so it's kind of... But there's like a, you know, think about that. That's not really... Is that a good thing? <laughs> you know, or not? Uh, I don't know. You know, I'm but, not, not going to talk a ton of shit, but uh, I, did, uh, I did take a, uh, a day off from work uh, on a tour that I was doing, which is kind of hard to do. Uh, just the, you know, there's no time to do things like that, but I was able to make it work. And I drove from Buffalo to Toronto to catch uh, Green Jello. And he had hired the whole local band. And um, he was on stage for about 45 minutes. They did three songs. He screamed at the audience for a good portion of that and then uh, was gone by the time the band went into the fourth and final song of the night. <laughs> so I was like, oh, like wow. <laughs> Three out of four on. ain't bad, I guess. And uh, yeah, I, I decided to hop up on stage and grab the, uh, it was the cow god head and, and throw it on. And it was then I realized just how many people had sweated into that uh, upholstery foam or something. Or maybe it was like a... Yeah, and I imagine, I imagine if you put it on at the end of the night it must have been pretty moist in there oh it was it was definitely moist <laughs> i got a sequence of photos where it just the the foam makes contact with the skin and the expression of joy drops immediately when it's just oh this is so wet <laughs> yeah see he you know there's a big problem one of the problems with guar that we encountered along the way was repairing the shit you know, like in the early days, we would pretty much destroy like half of the stuff after every show. So we would only do a show, one show every like every three months or so because everything would just get so totally destroyed, you know. And, and slowly mm. over the years, we came up with new techniques and tried new things uh, until we got to the point where, you know, me personally, I hate to have to repair shit on the road. Because it's it can be a real nightmare, especially if it's in the winter time and you're trying to get uh, chemicals like latex rubber to cure and dry. Because when it's cold, it doesn't want to dry. Yeah, know? and and so it's it can be. Really it must be a big pain in the ass too, just stuff. with touring. So I try to make it so that it can last, you know, and be right. virtually invulnerable, and I don't have to worry about repairing. What but uh what way, what uh, techniques Bill do Man you? Seeker Oh, huh? sorry. Uh, I was just curious, real quick. What um, what do you coat? I guess the the uh, the uh, armor and, and and whatnot. Now, what what do you coat it with? To um, it's it's everything I do is made out of latex rubber, and it has a coating of cheesecloth over it. Okay, cheesecloth. Interesting. Also, hmm. Yeah, the cheesecloth helps make it helps the rubber have a strong skin. You know, form a strong skin. But right. Bill came up with this technique where he just slaps duct tape on it. So then he 
he found out that, oh, they make duct tape. He found out how he could get duct tape in a million different colors and stuff. So he just has a trunk full of, you know, all these different colors duct tape. Uh, and then when his costumes wear out or get bust, you know, get worn out or something, he just slaps some more duct tape on them and uh, they keep getting up, you know. Mm-hmm. Whereas a miracle duct tape. Boy, we would wear it until it would wear out, and then you would build a whole new thing. But usually I carve the things out of foam rubber first, and then I'll put a latex rubber skin over it. Mm-hmm. And But part of it, too, is latex rubber. The nature of latex rubber is, and this is one of the tricky things that a lot of people uh, don't really know, is no uh, paint, like acrylic paint or no paint known to man, will stick. To rubber very long and people go oh bullshit you can spray paint it yeah you can spray paint it but it's going to come off you know and uh you can put you can paint it but it's going to come off as sooner or later it's going to come off i promise you, no matter what kind of paint you use so what you have to do is you have to mix the color into the rubber as you're laying the coats down and do the paint job as you're uh finishing the piece so that the color is embedded into the latex rubber and that way like that way the paint job doesn't rub off you know and uh then you do a final paint job at the end that's just like highlights and dark tones which is basically the same as you would paint a miniature if people out there have warhammer miniatures and stuff which is another geeky hobby that i'm (laughs) that's quite a scene you know i learned a lot about how to paint uh paint things by painting miniatures you know and and i've used the same techniques and it's important because a lot of the attitude i have and that's why i have my my claw and techno is so huge is i want the person in the back row to be able to see it and and see what's going on so Mm -hmm. i I paint my stuff and i design it with that in mind that i want it, it to look i want people from across the room to to see it because most people aren't going to be able to get more than 10 feet close to me anyway. You know? And I mm. think that's that's one of the arguments that we sort of got into in Guar, is because sometimes the costumes get too detailed, you know, and uh, very few people are going to get close enough to you to be able to see the detail. So you have to be careful, you know, when you design stuff. Right. That, uh, it looks good, up close and far away. Yeah, you know? and it a definitely... lot of the stuff we do, the tech, the technique, there's a whole different technique between doing live stage stuff and doing like a Hollywood movie, where you're prepping an agora effect to like spurt and happen, uh, you know, with all the on cue with all the cameras, as opposed to something that's going to happen on stage, and you want the person in the back row to be able to realize that oh, he just got hit in the head and blood squirted out, you know. <laughs> Yeah, there's definitely uh, people in the back of the audience you got to play to. It makes perfect sense. Um, what uh, what kind of resources were you studying when it came to designing the actual guts and innards of monsters and people that you were ripping out uh, during these shows? Um, Chuck Varga was the one who was the most into that, and he would look at at uh, medical stuff. And at one point, Brocky had had gotten a hold of a book that was uh, pictures of 
skin problems that people had. It was really gross. It was all kinds of pictures of boils and and you know open weeping wounds and grow really gross cringing stuff. <laughs> but it was all medical. It was photographs, you know. And that that was one thing that they used to look at a lot. And Chuck himself, like he in the early days, one of the first things that he made when he wrote the Executioner song, it was he had this uh dummy it was really it was really fat so that he had room to put the guts all in it but it was fully anatomical it was so cool where you could actually take the brain you could open up the top of the head like a lid and you could take the brain out and it had the spinal cord connected you know so once you lifted the brain out of the head the whole spinal cord would come out attached <laughs> yeah. to it. you know it was so awesome and uh he used to call he used to call that guy Stubbles because you could take his, his uh, I think some of his legs were already cut off. I think one of his legs was already cut off or something like that. But anyway, that and uh, then you could take his whole head off as well, you know, and then you could open his body up and he had the lungs and all the intestines. He had the whole everything, you know, and uh, but you had to make them, uh, you connect them all with the, a uh, string kind of, you know, so that when they would come out, uh, people wouldn't steal them, you know, because people would always be trying to grab stuff and take it, you know, and then, and people always thought that, oh, you know, I guess they, if they make all this stuff, they must be rich, you know, so it doesn't matter if we steal from them, you know, or something like that. I had one time I had a guy, this was in, uh, in Texas. And we were playing at a place that was near Pete Lee's uh, hometown. I think it was in Dallas, but I'm not 100% sure. But anyway, we were playing there, and he was on stage signing autographs with his costume on from the waist down. So he had his his shoulder pads off, his mask was off, and he was standing on the stage signing autographs. And... uh, I was by the entrance working with the T-shirt thing, uh, helping to close down the T-shirts at the end of the night or something like that. And uh, all of a sudden he comes running out and some kid had grabbed the claw off of his toe (laughs) and run out the door with it. So I kind of chased after him and I saw the kid running and I was, so I went out into the street and ducked down by the cars and, and sort of trotted along. And uh, the kid, he didn't see me sneaking up on him. And uh, I got to pretty close to him. And then he, he saw me and we both started running. And I grabbed him by, um, I, he was going to get away. He was like really long leg kid and, and uh, he was going to get away. So I just sort of leaped towards him and I tried to grab him by the neck. And I just barely got my fingers around the muscle on one side of his neck, you know, and just grabbed a hold of it and just squeezed as hard as I could. And he went down on his knees, and there was a restaurant there that was uh, had a bunch of people at little tables, right? <laughs> and there we are on the sidewalk, and he, he falls down on his knees, and I didn't... I didn't have to say anything. All I did was hold my hand out, you know, <laughs> palm up. Mm-hmm. And he put the claw into the palm of my hand, you know, 
and uh, he was looking down. Uh, he was looking down at the sidewalk, and he and uh, he looks up at me, and all of a sudden his eyes get really big, and he goes, "Take no destruction." <laughs> <laughs> and then he comes back the next day. You know, we had another show somewhere in Texas, somewhere, and he comes back the next day. And he thinks that, oh, we're friends now. You know, yeah. He met me. Yeah, hey, I'm that guy that, that uh, you know, we had that funny little interlude last night, you know, and, he, and he's all happy because he's a fan, you know, and that's and all like that. So weird shit. Fans are crazy. Fans do crazy shit like that all the time. He does a punk move like that, and then he's like, we're friends now. <laughs> yeah. He basically had him in a Vulcan yeah. death grip. Yeah. The um what's a Are you still working with your mantra of uh don't talk about uh don't talk about it, do it? I'm trying to. I'm trying to, but at the same time I'm I'm solo right now. So I have a lot of different things going on that I'm trying to make happen. But uh, I'm doing them by myself. So I got this Heroes comic out. That was a step in the right direction. I got my website going. You know, uh, co- the COVID shutdown was actually good in that respect because even though it stopped my wrestling, it got that going. So that was good. And I, I do have more projects on the horizon, more comics that I'm working on and more projects that are coming out. And I do want to make more movies as well, you know, and stuff like that. And who knows, I may do some sort of collaborative thing with, with Guar, although I can't imagine right now what it might be, but you never know. You never know what, what might happen or what person I might bump into. Actually, I'm, I'm getting to the point where I'm going to have to stop wrestling soon, to be honest. Because I am kind of way up there in the years wise, you know. <laughs> and uh, I mean, I start, most people don't like start their wrestling, professional wrestling career at the age of 50, you know, and, and shit like that. So, mm, I, I, I can, my, but my plan is, my plan is to do the fun physical stuff as long as I can, you know. And then sure. once I get to the point where I can't do it anymore, then I'm just going to concentrate on doing comics and, and uh, other kind of art stuff. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, I think making the movies would be a super cool. Uh, Skullhead face on VHS was one of the first encounters I had with Guar. With, uh, with Guar. It's, uh, <laughs> movies are always super cool. <laughs> making movies have never been easier. Yeah, that one was fun. Yeah, and Phallus in Wonderland um, got nominated for a Grammy. Hell yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it, it, you're right. Making movies and stuff is so much easier now than it used to be. And uh, yeah, like if we had had access to all the stuff and to be able to edit. And when I had to do crazy stuff like try to edit on my PC, I, what I would do is I would get like a time code thing on VHS from the editor that we would be working with, and then I would take it home and I would try to put together like a, a edit of it. And I had a 
I had a VHS thing that could do insert edits and stuff. And uh, but then later on, I would actually try to do it on the PC and my my computer. If I didn't save like every two or three things I did, it would crash, mm. you know, and stuff yeah. like that. So nowadays, it's so much easier, and I can do like like uh, the stuff that I have on the House of Huntar YouTube page. I can do uh, all kinds of crazy graphics, so easy, and green screen effects. Like I do, I am getting ready to put out. I, uh, Techno Destructo was talking about it earlier, getting stuck in the ice age. So I actually did do have a video of that that I'm getting ready to put out very soon about uh, Techno Destructo fighting a woolly mammoth in the ice age. And it's all like green screen and really crazy and funny. Fuck woolly mammoths. And stuff. <laughs> yeah, they're yeah. dicks. Woolly mammoth had it coming. Yeah. That's why they're fucking gone. There's a reason. <laughs> There's a reason they're extinct. Yeah, it was it was hard to find one. Believe me, it was, it was hard to find one. You gotta find one in the ice somewhere, uh, thought out. Not cheap. Yeah, because one of one of the things that really inspired me was Benny Hill too. You know, and the way that mm-hmm. he always does the dummy substitution stuff. And I actually brought that into professional wrestling, where I actually have a dummy of myself that's like balled up in a ball. You know, mm. and uh, sometimes I'll hide it and. uh um, then I'll later on in the in the match when I'm all stripped down and um, getting my ass kicked, I'll try to powder out, and my valet or my tag team partner or somebody will like hold be holding me by the tail, and I'll go behind a curtain, and then they'll pull out the dummy and swing the dummy around by the tail, and you know use it as a weapon or you know, different <laughs> funny gags like that. And then by the time the audience realizes that, whoa, that's supposed to be techno-destructo in a ball, you know, once the audience realizes what it is, he'll get rid of it, and then I'll come back from behind the curtain and act like I'm all fucked up, you know. Mm. <laughs> and fu- maybe I'll, like, sometimes I'll even take it to the point where I, at that point I'll fall over the, the, the opponent who's knocked out in the middle of the ring now, you know, and win the match that way, too. You know, and people mm. always say, "Hey, what's your uh, what's your finishing move?" You know, and I'll I'll like usually it's my valet helps me cheat somehow, and I, <laughs> and that's my finishing move. But then I came up, I do like do this thing with that I call the atomic fist drop, where I get up on the top rope and actually jump off and clock people with my claw, and it's pretty cool when I get to do it. And sometimes I can, you know. It depends too if I'm wearing the backpack. I can do it a lot better after I if I don't not wearing the backpack. I can get a lot higher. But well, you know, I was talking earlier too about the the day that I worked with the powers of pain. You know, and because uh, I, you know, that was like that's like you working with somebody. Wow, I know these guys. Oh my gosh, you know. And I'm there, and I'm like, hey, you know, I'm Techno Destructo. I've been in the wrestling ring and stuff like that, and. uh uh, but they were really not impressed, and I was I was trying to work in the ring and stuff. But the week before, I had just been in James Balsamo's movie fighting this swamp monster in water, and so my uh, backpack had soaked up like fifty pounds of water, uh, 
like a sponge. And even though it had been like, I think it was two weeks by that time, it was still really, really, really heavy. I couldn't believe how heavy it was because it was still full of water. And so here these guys are that I'm trying to show them how awesome I am. And I can't, my armor weighs 50 pounds. My armor that usually weighs 90 pounds anyway, now weighs 50 pounds more <laughs> than it usually does. So, wow. They were not impressed. Powers of Pain <laughs> were not impressed by Techno Destructo that day. But hey, that's how it goes. That's a that's a day in the life of professional wrestling, you know. There's it's always, weird. It's All always something, stuff. but you just got to keep doing it anyway. You know? Yeah, the show must go on. Mm-hmm. I have a I have a question for you. Um, given the history of the band, would you be cool with being inducted into something like the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? If the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame called you guys up, would you would you care about that at all? I think it would be really cool if something like that happened. I mean, I I wouldn't be miffed, or I hope that I would be included if something like that happened. I'm assuming you would be. But I'm assuming that they'd call you. I would think, I would think they they probably would as well. But I don't know. You know, who knows. You know, we'll start casting our votes now. I mean, it, to me, it's almost like an inevitability. It's like an if and when situation. I'm pretty sure that Gore could easily make it into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Well, we'll see, though, because, you know, uh, you know, Bill, Bill Manspeaker, we were talking about earlier, he at one point was actually Gene Simmons from Kisses manager at one point and uh he had talked to gene simmons about guar and uh in connection with some at doing some action figures uh doing some kiss action figures and uh he had been talking to gene simmons about it but uh i'm just i'm i'm still trying to wrap my head around how bill manspeaker ended up as the manager gene simmons well, Gene Simmons, he was talking to Gene Simmons about Guar, and Gene Simmons goes, "Oh, well, if if they've never had a hit record, you know, they're never going to be anything, you know." And that's kind of weird coming out of Gene Simmons because, like, when I when Kiss was going on when I was in high school, you know, when they were kind of new and everybody was going crazy about them, they had that song "Beth," right? which is like an uncharacteristically limp <laughs> kiss song, you know? <laughs> You've got to admit, you know, it's their top 40 hit. It's sort of like uh, Alice Cooper doing Only Women Bleed or something like that, you know? It's really weird how it's like they're limp. They have to do this, like, limp song that's so limp just to get it on the radio. I don't, I don't know. I don't get the strategy behind it. But anyway, that was the song. I mean, yeah, so it seems weird that he would say that. I mean, now everybody knows, uh, you know, what are the awesome Kiss songs. Now they're hits because they've sold over time, you know. they The good songs like Rock and Roll All Night, that song has now sold, outsold Beth, I would think, mm-hmm. you know. and it's, But 
It took but they needed those shitty songs time. to get popular in the first place at the time. Yeah, they get yeah, so they can be on Casey Case and Top Forty. <laughs> yeah, or whatever, whatever. Some but, some call you know, it buying in, Clark, some calling it selling it out. It's it's well, it's weird when you're talking about Guar too, because when you talk about Guar, you you don't really think of their nonstop array of chart busting hits. You know, you think of the crazy stage show and the and the weird, you know, all that. The mm. that's what's interesting about Guar, and that's like sort of like what I was t- telling you. That's why Guar has never been able to break through the mainstream because there's never been, you've never had like a label. Although that's changed now, you know, with their new management. That's one thing I noticed when I was on, you know, when I was hanging out with them for the first time for 30 years, is they do have, I think they finally got some good management going with them. And uh, I think they have a, you know, they're not going to give up. So I think they, I think they are, have a bright future, and you know, I really do. I think good things are going to happen for them, and I wouldn't be surprised at all if they end up getting in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame one bit, you know? And like I was talking to you, uh, you know, outside of this interview, I was saying that uh, I'm probably one of the most influential artists that nobody's ever heard of, you know? The same, that, that comes from Guar. You know, Guar is one of the most influential bands that nobody has ever heard of. That's, you know, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Is uh, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, but of a certain, like, like, style of music, you guys are the titans, and it is your baby in a, in a way, or it's at least, it's it's from your creativity that the initial spark of this whole thing, if you were inducted into the, the hall, for instance, you would, you know, if you weren't there, it wouldn't be right. You know, they'd have to call you. Otherwise, uh, you know, that's my well, it's a Well, I'll tell you one thing for sure, is that I'm not going to sit here and say that, I'm, that Guar came out of me, because it was a group thing, and like, for instance, the, sure. the way that the spew worked and stuff like that, that was Don Draculich's idea, the guy that plays Sleazy. You know, and he he works conventions and stuff out on the East Coast and all, but it it Guar is one of those things that definitely couldn't have happened unless all of the different people that were there, right. and each one of us contributed our own part. Like my part was the science fictiony storyline part, you know, and a lot of the uh, one of the things that really floats my boat is being able to do satire, doing able to do political satire stuff. Like whenever there's an election, we always had the candidates come out and we decapitate both of them, you know. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's always fun <laughs> because we be. want Sleazy, you know, Sleazy's running for president this year, you know. <laughs> so we he decapitates the other other dudes like that. So mm. yeah, so Guar was a group thing, but yeah, man, I think they deserve to be in the in the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But there's more to happen. I've got more things I want to do. I'm, I still have a bucket list of shit I'm working on. Oh, yeah. Like you were saying, don't talk about it, do it. But uh, it's it's uh, it's hard to get shit done, you know. It's hard to get shit done. And anybody out there that has tried to do anything, <laughs> they know. 
You know, there are obstacles out there. And whenever you're, you know, you've got to stand up for the sick fun that you crave because there's always people out there that are trying to take it away from you and trying to mm-hmm. cock block you, you know, and jealous because you're having more fun than they are, you know. We uh, we definitely draw a lot of inspiration, I'd say, with the uh, collaborative spirit of producing a show. I mean, there's all sorts of people that, that come out week after week. Uh, you know, like I mentioned at the beginning of the show, whether it's artwork or um, music, or I just had somebody send me a, a ton of uh, booberry cereal isos before the show started. I didn't get a chance to save them yet, but uh, thank you for that, Servo. Um, but also... Going out get books, and, we get all kinds of information. Oh yeah, we've had people mail us books before. Um, yeah, information is one of my favorite things to receive, and we get that in spades, and that's part of it, you know, part and, of the product. And uh, you know, it's even gone as far now that uh, I sent out all of the uh, artwork that I've done for the show to one of our producers, Make Heroism, and now he's looking at designing T-shirts for us. And oh my God, mm-hmm. he sent me or he sent us. 13 mock-ups and uh, they're just they're gorgeous i cannot wait (laughs) to see these in person they're so fucking cool it's gonna be it's gonna be a grand day when that happens anyway point is is, wow so this is like a village some patreon stuff you're doing we do not use patreon at all Uh, everything sorry i didn't mean to no, 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 no. It, that, it's, no, no, it's totally no. cool. It's uh, we're 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 proud to say that. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> it's we're like just... a badge of honor. But the entrepreneurial spirit is really important, and and uh, that you were talking earlier about the newsletter and the fan club thing, and the so I was putting out that newsletter, Mind Control Monthly, and each issue I tried to have like it featured a different character whether it was one of the band members or maybe even one of the bad guys in the show. And uh, I would get, uh, I would try to get uh, newspaper articles that might have interviews with that particular character or talk about that particular character. And I would try to get them to write a letter to the fans that would be on the first page of the thing. And then I would have some kind of artwork on the cover. We would have a comic strip that was probably about that character if possible. And uh, then I would also put tour dates in it or upcoming things, album releases or or things like that that were going to happen. And then I would also insert the all-important catalog that would have uh, the VHS videos and T-shirts and stuff like that that you could get. And I would always pitch it like support the arts. You know, we need to to move this merchy shit so that we can continue to make the sick stuff that you crave, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, I used to, when, when I was on tour, I used to get up on stage and make a speech at the beginning of every show about, uh, um, that's right. You too can help support Guar in their never ending battle. To <laughs> conquer the universe and subject all humanity to total slavery. <laughs> Who wouldn't want to be a part of that? And, and like that. By audience yeah. members like you. Yeah, yeah. We're yeah. like uh, an evil NPR. Sacrifice yourself to your to your lord's destroyers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like that. 
That's you, how you get. That's how you get it going. You should. Uh, I, I had uh, sent over a link to our show notes, and that effectively um, acts as our newsletter. You know, it's a, it's not a monthly. It's it's a it's a weekly release. But you know, all the sh- all of the artwork that we do for the show, we're um, we're using a new type of uh, podcast release code protocol, essentially, and it's really just blown open the doors on the type of presentations that you can put on just through and you know a, a podcast an audio mp3 file like uh there's there's a one of my favorites favorite ones is uh chapters so you know as you're looking at your podcast app and when you switch to the new subject the artwork will change to you know we we take it a step further and we always find images that are relevant to our topics and do a whole uh anaglyphic 3d you know red cyan treatment to it so it's just like cycling through with all of these uh yeah i'll send you a link to to a place you can check it out on your laptop but uh you know we we definitely uh relied heavily on the uh weekly world news vibe it's all like grainy black and white you know trashy zine paper wow yeah it's a it's a lot of fun um I uh, lavish. Unless you had any last questions, I've got one that I <laughs> I definitely have to wrap on. Yeah, let's do well, let's do one last, and we'll get out of here. Hunter, do you hate the new Star Wars movies too? Oh my gosh, you didn't go there, did you? <laughs> <laughs> Man. <laughs> Man, I'll tell you that I I really. Uh, like it's out. It's already out there. Been out there for a long time. That my hatred of the early Star Wars movies was one of the things that inspired me to do Guar. And uh, then, uh, my when my son started to get to elementary school age, I started to play Lego Star Wars with him, and that made me backtrack. And that's when the the uh, Return of the Sith. No, the one with the Sith, Revenge of the Sith. Yeah, that's Revenge, when the Revenge yeah. of the Sith one came out, which Prequels. I really liked. I liked that one. I have it on DV and watch it every once in a while. Mm-hmm. But then they get into the new ones, and oh my god, I can't believe Awful. I can't believe how bad the new ones are. They're really like, uh, and and you know during the Guar during the last Guar tour, COVID like really fucked with with us big time and Casey Orr came down with it and went into the fucking hospital in New York city. And, uh, they said if he hadn't have been vaccinated, he could have died, you know, and I got it too. And, but it only, I only got like cold symptoms, but I still had to be quarantined and taken off the tour for like seven days. It sucked. I was so pissed because I was so into it. But during that time, they were they were having a Star Wars marathon, and I hadn't seen the new Star Wars yet, so I I actually watched them all back to back, and I was like, oh my god! And I I like kept going, waiting for the good part, you know, waiting for the good part, waiting for the good part, and then all of a sudden, well, that was the good part, you know? Yeah. And it was like no payoff. Wow, they were so terrible with the. They were. I I was like. Oh man, it just made me crazy. It made me crazy. They were so bad. Yeah, you know. On the other hand, all the 
like TV show stuff they've been doing is really cool. You know, I think. Yeah. Anyway, I like all the Boba Fett stuff, and they were doing the other one with. Um, um, oh, the Mandal uh, Mandalorian, yeah. Yeah, the Mandalorian thing with the baby Yoda that was pretty cool. All that stuff was yeah. cool. So it's sort of like, you know, I, the thing I hated about the Star Wars the most is. It's a universe that has lots of cool characters, you know, but they always focus on the limpest, lamest part of the show, I guess, because they want to appeal to the kid audience. But, you know, and then you have cool characters like Darth Maul, you know, and uh, 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 Boba Fett that just show up so they can get killed. You know, yeah, total red shirt cannon fodder. It's a shame. It's a crime. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's like now when they when now that Disney took over, they're like they seem like they're paying more attention to what the fans want to see of the Star Wars universe and are sort of doing it. But meanwhile, I don't know where they were going, you know, and, and it's like the you know I also really I I like read all the Marvel stuff you know when i was in high school and all that was that was one of the things that like gave me super boner is mm -hmm. uh, reading all the jack kirby comics and uh as they were coming out or collecting them you know and uh finding out all the details about where all that shit the early jack kirby stories and stuff that was so good you know all war was hugely influenced by all that but then when they put out these movies and stuff and they are like they they have to show the actor's face, you know. So mm -hmm. A right off the bat you want to get rid of that mask, you know? And it's like they sort of break down we wanna make a superhero movie, but oh well they can't have masks, you know, and they and, can't uh, have bright colors. They can't have all this cool Yeah, we can't. Shit. Oh, man, those skin-tight suits look so gay. Let's put them all <laughs> yeah. in, in Korean motorcycle outfits. You know, yeah. Right. And, well, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. <laughs> With leather and, piping, uh, leather piping trim. Yeah. And, like, Hawkeye, to me, Hawkeye was always one of my favorite characters because he was like Wolverine. He was the bad guy that was, like, the snarky asshole that it always turns out to be right, you know? And uh, they totally then they they change him. They take not only his character away, they took his the coolest costume in in comic book history away from him. You know, so he hmm. wasn't wearing his awesome purple suit at no time in the whole thing. They they sort of made him look oh kind of almost, but never. So man, I hated all those movies so bad, but. Uh, I still have them on DVD, <laughs> but you know, parts of them were, parts of them were really cool. Parts of them were really cool, but it was just too much Hollywood, you know, that they were trying to float the Hollywood boat instead of being true to the comics, you know? And to me, they should have just taken the Jack Kirby comics and used them as the damn storyboard, you know, <laughs> and all like that. So the more, but and the X Men ones were even worse, you know. Because I recently I bought like into the X Men Kickstarter game. I was just playing it last night actually. Uh, the uh, and it's like a chibi game, but it's really fun. 
And so it made me like want to go back and watch those old X-Men movies. You know, mm. so I went to the library and checked a bunch of them out. And, oh, my God, they were so bad. They were so <laughs> bad. They were so bad. And it's like they're it's like they're trying to be Batman. Like, they're all dark, you know, and everything yeah. is like, I was like, damn, turn on the light. Somebody turn on the light. Yeah. <laughs> Where's something other than black or gray? Jesus. Yeah. But anyway, I hate to scoff all that shit. But, uh. In a big way, that's what Guar is about, you know, because Guar is about being real and and getting up there and wallowing around in the gore and the and spewing the blood on people and stuff, and it and it's not like uh, uh, but at the same time, it's a big huge suspension of disbelief, you know, mm. and all that. So it's like it's got it's a professional wrestling thing, you know. It's all about having fun and getting out that primal aggression, you know, because the more limited and structured our society and culture is, we still have that animalistic need to, you know, bite things and feel the blood squirting out of them onto us and dripping yeah. down your body, you know. There's something about that. Yeah, it's real. It's something about it's being covered in blood that is like for real, no matter how fake it is. Yeah, that first hit at the uh, at the show, and then that lame ass motherfucker gets his head chopped off, and just gets bent over the monitor, and everybody rushes to that one point, mouths the gape, just trying to swallow it at all. <laughs> oh man, it's uh, there's nothing like it. I cannot recommend anything harder than to go to a Guar show and give your life to them. It's such a great time. There's nothing else like it. <laughs> and if you bring your se- the he- severed head of one of your parents to the show, you get a dollar off. <laughs> <laughs> it's a steal. Well, the, with this uh, with this latex trick that I that uh, you were telling us about earlier, I might have to give that a go. <laughs> Make your own head. Make my well, own actually, head. Um, I used to say that all the time when I did interviews and stuff, but I have no authority to make any such promises at this point. So don't don't anybody like kill your parents or anything out there because I can't keep that promise. This is a chicken head, which should be enough, I think. This is not medical advice. No, not medical advice. <laughs> well, Hunter, thank you so much for spending your uh, evening with us. Uh, it's been an absolute blast. Uh, I couldn't be more ecstatic, more thrilled to have you on. Uh, it was a great, great show. Uh, thank you again. Yeah, man. And uh, like I'm saying, support the weird shit that you're into. Buy their T-shirts. Go see Guar. If you get to see me wrestling, uh, uh, if I wrestle in your area, I promise you it'll be worth going to see the show. But don't like a fly to the far side of the country or anything <laughs> but, but don't uh, tempt me <laughs> actually uh It'll be fun you know you can you can help me out there if you if there's a local wrestling gig in your area if they contact me i'll try to work with them to get there but right now in fact that's why my show to florida got canceled is because the airplane tickets are so damn expensive oh that, yeah that, totally uh as the show got closer, they just couldn't, it wasn't in the budget to do it, you know, and I don't begrudge them that it's Alex Red and 
AWR. They're a fucking awesome outfit, and he has always done me right. So, you know, I understand how things are, and, you know, the biggest rule in wrestling is the card subject to change, you know? Hmm. Yeah, that is a cross-country flight. Yeah. So if anybody's out there on the West Coast, uh, hook up uh, our friend here, Hunter Jackson, with some uh, some wrestling connections, if you got any. All your local wrestling collectives. There's plenty of them out there. Yeah, I was actually just talking to a yeah. dude and uh, went to go see Flog and Molly a couple of weeks ago, and uh, he had recommended a couple of uh, local wrestling scenes to go check out. And I've been looking for some uh, field reporting type stuff I've been wanting to get into whether it be like uh, demo derbies or wrestling matches or just, I don't know, maybe even the state fair or something that could be fun. Uh, I want to get out there. So I'll, uh, I'll definitely report yeah, back. Um, conventions are fun too. I'm really glad that you brought up the conventions because lavish and I have had conversations about trying to hit the convention scene in some capacity it's on a list. Are we Yeah. We wouldn't <laughs> mind trying that on for size just yeah. to see if it fits. Some of the best shows I've had have been at hot sauce conventions too, because I've been selling oh. that Techno Destructo Garlic Death Grip hot sauce, which you can get at my website by the way. But Ew. I've been going to these hot sauce conventions or not conventions but festivals. Where and a lot of times they'll have wrestling there as an entertainment thing and they'll have several wrestling matches during the day. So I'll just show up ready to go, and the guy will put me on the card, you know. And I've had some of my very best wrestling matches like that. Nice. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I love hot sauce, so I'm all about that. Yeah, it's really good. I work with this company called Hella Hot Sauce that's based in uh, um, uh, up by San Francisco. Hella Hot and, Sauce. Uh, That's a Bay yeah, Area term, Hella. Look them up. Hell yeah. Yeah, there Yeah, he's got a lot of he he has an interesting uh way that he makes the hot sauce and it's really good. I was surprised. I did it just because I wanted to do the artwork on the label of a hot sauce bottle. But lo and behold, it turned out to be really good and actually won an award at a hot sauce festival. So check it out. Techno Destructo's Garlic Death Grip Hot Sauce. <laughs> oh yeah, we're going to throw that in the show notes. Give a direct link to that. Yep, that's uh, houseofhunthard.com yeah. slash shop. Go get yourself something. You get posters, you got patches, t-shirts, comics, the Anomalies graphic novel. It's uh, <laughs> That graphic novel is pretty trippy. It's all photographs of people in superhero costumes acting out a comic, or acting out scenes from a comic. I've never seen anything like it. Yeah, it's very it's, trippy. It's really funny, and the guy writes these really funny science fiction-y stories. And I met him at a convention, I was like, oh, man, you got to let Techno Destructo be this guest villain in a issue of your photo comic, you know? So that was when I was living in Philadelphia, and, and a couple of them flew up there, and we shot, the, you know, all the Techno Destructo photography that went into the photo comic. So check it out. It's the Anomalies. They're based in Florida, too, by the way. Well, very cool, man. Uh, I mean, if uh, unless you have anything, I think that uh, concludes us for tonight. Um, uh, it's, I'm it's, good. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, and, thank you uh, again. We hope to see you out there on Sweet the mats. Tight. Oh, we will. You should let go to bed, go lie down in bed tonight, and look at a copy of the Nine of Swords and have pleasant dreams. <laughs> oh, 
probably wake <laughs> up with two uh, two rubber bands on my wrist. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. <laughs> well, awesome. Well, uh, Hunter, I hope you have a fantastic night, and uh, we'll catch you next time. All right. Thanks. Thanks for having me, and stand up for the sick stuff you crave, because there's always somebody out there trying to take it away from you. <laughs> Hell yeah. You know it. Where's my button? I got a button for that. We must put an end to this spectacle of debauchery! Right. <laughs> All right. Well, take care, Hunter. We'll uh, we'll talk with you later. Yeah, we'll see you at, uh, at uh, Hood Slam one of these days. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. Bye-bye now. Ooh, we made it. Cool. What is powered by GoDaddy? Hmm. Well, we made it. We made it through. That was Hunter Jackson, Techno Destructo, the original scum dog of the universe. Wrestler, artist, sculptor. What's not to love? There's so many different cool fucking pieces of art that you can go look at on his website. I've seen some of it up close and personal. It's phenomenal. I love that shit. Looking at it right now. And when I grab, snatch some, snatch some art up. Really cool. Awesome. That was a good time. Yeah. We, uh. Some of this hot sauce. Techno Destructo Garlic Death Grip Hot Sauce. And we had a couple of boostograms come through. We should definitely, uh, hit those. Right. Uh, let's see. Ba, 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 ba. Do that. I'll be right back. Sounds good. Uh, we had Bully Steed coming in right at the very end of the last episode with 3,333 sats saying Mothman carrying the load. Well, thank you, Bully Steed. That was a, that was a solo episode that we did last week. And then uh, we had uh, 1368 from Pfeiffer using Fountain saying roll the Gamatria dice. I think Pfeiffer was looking for that... Um, Oh, he's looking for one of the Gamatria boosts that we have. I can't remember. Oh, it's the <laughs> touchdown for Moloch. You can go over to liveislit.com. Lavish has typed up a brand new graph for you to check out and show you all the different uh, nope. amounts of Satoshis that you can boost to get different uh, gam- Gamatric messages in the chat room. Yeah, we've got a, a little pretty little chart there that you can check out. It has all the list of all the options with each uh, value that you boost. And also, thank you, Bully Steed. I heard that as I was walking away. And then, uh, actually, Pfeiffer was rolling a couple times. 1368, 1368, uh, he said, fourth and goal, and hashtag Gamatria gang. He really wanted to collect all four of the 1368 options. Mm-hmm. It took him a few rolls to get it. <laughs> and here he goes again, 1368 from Fountain saying, Spike the ball. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lordy. Uh, you got in on the action. You're trying to get some uh, some Moloch, some touchdowns from Moloch, 1368. Come on! I wanted to help him out. Figured, uh-huh. well, you know, if one of us catches it, then, then we all win. So, I think, it, I think it spilled out that way. Yeah. And then, Look at me, Ma. I'm a producer. <laughs> I'm producing. Uh, 3333 again from Bully Steed for tonight. She said, on the East Coast, so I may not be able to stay up for the live, 
but I know you guys deliver. Well, thank you, oh, Bully well, Steed. Thank you. Thank you, Bully Steed. Or Cooley Steed or Boo Steed Steed. And then uh, Servo's rounding this out with two boosts for 3,333 sats using the boost clit. Oh, my. Ooh, boost clit. Uh, yeah, that's three, three, three. Wait, three, 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 three. That's six, 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 six. That is very satiny. That's like the phone number for the local taxi company. Yes. Three, 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 three. Thank you. Thank you, Servo. He's, uh, he's, uh, definitely in the green room leaderboard. We have a, a styrofoam bust of him in the green room that we've drawn all over. Uh, it's got his name on it and he's in there. He's up there. I think I'm going to put a little foam wrench up there. Oh, yeah, of course. Nuclear vice grip. If anybody here is techno destructo, it's Servo. <laughs> but he said fools and ghouls with his first message, and then pew pew. I never did get that new boostagram sound uh, loaded up, so my apologies. It's uh, Tonight, unfortunately, it was, a, it was a little bit of a weird rush to, uh, getting started, but uh, I had a great time. Some great yeah. stories. Uh, just uh, some really reaffirming things as well. It's probably for the best. Got to focus on on the man himself. Mm, no doubt. Uh, we did have another f- financial d- donor come through in the form of Coffee Von Dust Bubble with Coffee. their uh, monthly donation of $3.33. Oh, thank you, Coffee. We really appreciate the monthly donation. Um, and, uh, you know, helps us keep the lights on around there. I'm, I'm glad this was the episode that uh, Coffee was here for, because Coffee knows I'm a big, big uh, Guar fan. Ah. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Thank you to all our producers. As Booberry has said before, uh, we are value for value, which means we don't have ads, we don't have commercials. We just are uh, supported by producers who enjoy the show. And if you get any value out of the show, then you can show that value back in any way that you like. It doesn't have to be financial. It could be art. It could be information, like we said. Thank you. Thanks to everybody. Uh, always. Yeah, and we do this show every Monday night at 7.30, 9.30, 10.30 Eastern, respectively. You can find us over at badradio.live or loveislit.com. A lot of different ways to go check us out. But most importantly, what I need you to do, if you're listening to the sound of our voices and you're getting smashed in the face by Techno's Nuclear Wrench, you got to go and get off of the Spotify's, you got to go and get off of the, uh, the apples, apples and the, the Amazons, the, the, and the bullshit, the galoggle. Get off the galoggle. It's you. You're part of the the combine. <laughs> get out of there. <laughs> you're literally part of the problem. You're a cog in <laughs> their machine. Okay, <laughs> you need to uncog yourself. Okay. Do it. Find yourself a podcasting 2.0 app. It's easy, and it's so much better. It's ten times better than any boring old normal stupid podcast app around there. And you can find one by going to nudepodcastapps.com. That's or right. newpodcastapps.com. But nudepodcastapps.com is much more funny. Yeah, you said nude first, too, so that counts more. Yeah, that's the first thing I said. Uh, we should, oh, we got one voicemail that came in. We'll, Ooh. uh, we'll hit this one. Yeah. 
there goes that voice crack. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, the Bluetooth thing helped him. <laughs> mm. That was an educated scream from a doctor. Thank you. Thank you, caller. Yes, thank you, Special Agent Dr. Sir Mike Crotch. And, uh, yes, oh. super secret Special Agent. I'm sorry that I that I missed these. Uh, we had a, a message come through. Uh, uh, this has been a real cool interview. I don't honestly know much about Guar, but from a wrestling fan perspective, this has been real sick. Sick. Well, thank you, texter, messenger. Yes, thank you very much. Six one two two six three seven nine nine nine. Those phone lines are always active. You can always leave a screen mail. It's the easiest way to produce this show. Um, looking forward, I got another fun announcement for everybody. Are you ready for this, Lavish? Oh, I, I, I hope so. This motherfucking coming Sunday. Sunday, oh, Sunday, it's Sunday. Sunday. It's coming Sunday. Sunday's coming. The piss is gonna flow in the green room. And if you mm. don't know what I mean... Oh, this is crazy. I don't want this. Midnight Mike of Our Big Dumb Mouth is going to be joining us for a special broadcast post No Agenda, the 17th of July. Oh my good golly goodness. Yeah. You weren't prepared for that one, were you? I wasn't. I was, I'm completely uh, broadsided <laughs> by your announcement. I want to believe. <laughs> <laughs> What a time. What a time to, to listen to the podcast. Midnight Mike uh, of OBDM, our big dumb mouth. Uh, a Mac daddy around here. How many episodes have they had? Uh, they just crossed over the thousandth threshold. Uh, but oh, they've yeah. also, I think they started a year or maybe a year and some change before No Agenda actually got rolling. Mm. So they've been, uh, they've been moving and grooving for a bit. Mm-hmm. Midnight Mike knows his shit, so it'll be awesome to have him uh, on. Looking forward to it. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm a huge fan of that show, so it's uh, it's going to be a slam packed uh, double feature in the RSS feed, which, on a totally other esoterical level, I've just had this coming to Jesus with the RSS feed, and like this, this is our stamp. This is what we've done. It's all contained right here in this code. And it all points to the coolest, sickest shit on the internet. And you're going to want to get you some. You got to go. You got to go get yourself some at badradio.live. That's right. You got to go down to badradio.live. Loveislit.com. Behindtheschemes.com. Schemes with threes for ease. It's good for you. This is a theater show. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's just a really cool time to be doing what we're doing. That is very Satan-y. Oh yeah, this is it. Mm. And uh, I'm gonna try and stay as it as possible until next time. I'll be Booberry, Black Knight of the Mothman. That's right. Until next time, uh, staying out of the smoke and into the smoker. I'm lavish.
I always think I know what Behind the Schemes is about, and then I listen to it, and I realize that I'm completely wrong, and they're always talking about something else that's more interesting than what I presume they're talking about. Badradio.live and leave a stream mail, 612-263-SXXY. And they're running a porn site on our show here. Yeah, it's a nasty scheme. Behind the Squeeze. CDC is like this whole governmental body with scientists and shit that just tell us what to do. You don't have to think about it, dude. There's a lot of schemes out there.